Hi, everybody, and welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. We also do another podcast called the Sneaky Dragon Podcast. If uh, after the end of this, you go, uh, we want to hear more of those guys' voices talking about things that aren't Tintin, that's probably the way to go. The only way. Probably. Uh, here is the concept behind the show. Uh, we are going through every Tintin collection. Uh, I have never read Tintin before. I'm a professional comic book writer, but I've never gotten around to reading Tintin, uh, though I have heard nothing but good uh, from people that I admire. Uh, David, you, on the other hand... I've read a lot of Tintin. In fact, you would Some say... Some might say all of it. Yeah, you've read all of it. You were a big fan of uh, Hergé. Big fan. Yes, so, love his art. So uh, that's the two perspectives you're getting here. You're getting a person reading it for the very first time. You're also getting uh, a little bit of context, a little history, uh, and perspective from someone who has been a fan for decades. Because Thanks. David is very old. Have, <laughs> we, right. have we mentioned this? Thanks a lot. Very, very old. He is slightly <laughs> older than I believe Hergé would be today. <laughs> that's right. Let me put my cane away. Okay. So we'll um, we always start with a little bit of history uh, about uh, the story we're reading. And if I yeah. haven't mentioned it already, and probably I should have, uh, it's uh, Tintin in America. That's right. His third, his third book. So also written for Le Petit Vantiem. Uh, so it was originally in black and white. So it's actually, there was a facsimile uh, version put out in the early 70s that collected all three of the, of the first, oh, oh, I shouldn't say all three, all, all three of the first three. That's how many that they collected of the <laughs> sure. first three. So that would be all of them. Yeah, we collected all of them. They collected all three of the uh, in the facsimile edition. So yeah. collected none of the ones that didn't exist yet. That's right. They did not collect those, but there were other black and white ones. So, right. but uh, for some reason, they put out these three. I guess partly because uh, there was a lot of bootlegging of of them. And so, in what way? Well, people were making their own versions of like Land of the Soviets and Tintin in the Congo. So, what would they do? Would they clip them from the newspaper, and then what would you do back? Well, I guess in... there were there were books published right. of them, right? So there were original albums that were published under the Le Petit Vantiem uh, name, like so they came out as albums de la Petit or de, du Petit Vantiem, right. I guess. But unscrupulous publishers would this be publishers? Yeah, or would this be exactly. individuals? Maybe whatever. I mean, okay. if you're publishing stuff as an individual, you're you can call yourself a publisher, I suppose. Sure, you can, or a criminal, either way. Either way. So they were taking. So there was a demand. People wanted to see them because they were. You know, there were lots of huge uh, Tintin or Hergé fans, and so they wanted to see these early works, and there was just no way to see them because these books had got long gone under print. So if someone was able to get one, they could take it and, you know, create their own version of it. And so there were some of them floating around, and Hergé didn't like that. And so he, uh, you know, so eventually, I mean, there was worry because because they didn't want, well, strangely enough, like... When we read them now, we read them in terms of we read them racially. We're very sensitive that way. We're mm-hmm. you know we feel like the Congo one is it's very sensitive you know blah blah blah. But when they were published, the, one of the things they hesitated about republishing the Soviets was because they were afraid of offending uh, the very powerful kind of left wing that was that was active mm-hmm. around in the late '60s, and so that was real hesitation. So they were afraid of like you know creating all this fuss if they released this book that was critical of the Soviet Union. Uh, it would, you know, cause all this uh, ruckus. So they kept putting it off, and finally, in '73, they they did publish publish them. And so, unfortunately, they haven't really published a more recent version of the American one. So it's difficult. I've never seen it myself, and it's difficult to to find anywhere. I guess to see the, you know, be interesting to see though. I'd mm-hmm. like to see it, uh, just because, you know, one thing we learned with the Congo is that even though, you know, I would I always had assumed from reading that. You know, when he was compressing them down from like 121 
or 110 pages in the case of the Congo down to 62 for the Castro editions that he was, you know, tossing out a lot of material. But reading the black and white one and reading the color one last time, I realized that he actually, he actually lost very little. Yeah, it's very, uh, very he, similar. In, in some cases, he added, yeah, yeah, he added stuff. Right. And yeah, it just improved things a little bit, just in terms of, of, uh, you know, layout mostly. And, you know, he did the same with Tintin in America. We can talk about it when we read it, but there were cases where he had people going uh, in the opposite direction they started, you know, so they walked in a door and then they're walking out, they would walk out the opposite way. Right. So those are, those are kind of, you know, amateurish mistakes that a cartoonist might make when they're, when they're working at a deadline and haven't really uh, completely, um, what's the word, completely, you know, brought in all the, you know all that training and stuff like that isn't all it's not it's not right. second nature to him yet so you know he's still learning as he goes so but we can talk about that so obviously this was supposed to be the second book that he what that was, he was the going, first one supposed to be then it was supposed to be first soviets, soviets then this because this, this was kind of the pendant of the two so you had one that was critical of bolshevism right of, and then this was going to be the, the one the critical of of, of capitalism you know because at that time in in uh even in right-wing circles in europe at that time they were anti-capitalist. Capitalism was seen as a bad thing. Okay. You know, that, so they were, so he wanted to criticize that as, as well as, you know, and as well as have this criticism of, of communism. Unfortunately, or whatever, I mean, it's, I guess he got to do it. So it's six to one, half dozen, the other, but, uh, you know, he wanted, he had to do the Congo because Father Wale, his, his mentor and, and editor at, the, at, at Le, uh, Ventium Siakla said, you know, no, we need to get people interested in going to the Congo and working there as in, you know, in the bureaucracy. So let's, you know, put this book out. Then, you know, and so in order to, we talked about it last time, but in order to, to prevent him being, uh, you know, turned, turned away from doing this one again, he, he put in the end of it, you know, Al Capone and, you know, so he's good. And it says he's going to go to Chicago. So he basically, yeah, you know, laid no the choice, foundation. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but when he went to do it, you know, his plan originally was to do a book that was almost basically all about Native Americans uh, and Tintin, you know, coming to the rescue and, you know, helping them, you know, fight against the, the oil uh, barons and the de real estate developers. And that was kind of his plan. And so he started to formulate this. And he kind of went off the course a little bit, but also through Father Wale, who wanted it to be more of a criticism of American culture. So he wanted him to base it in Chicago. Right. Wale wanted Hergé to, uh, to base the story solely in, in what, Chicago. What he, did he want it to be a criticism of First Nations culture as well? Nope. Nope. So, okay. No, no. He just wanted it to be all about, like, you know, the, how bad, you know, capitalism is, materialism, and publicity, you know, the sort of advertising and there all the... There is a bit of that in here. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's some, some bits in here that just come across, like, straight-out political cartoons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so... There's even jokes about religion in here, which su surprised me. I didn't expect to see that in there. Yes, but it's a joke about American style religion. Mm. So it's a kind of a, kind of a prank on that sort of the, the kind of cult, cult of the, you know, the sort of new cults that were popping up because you had this, it's a long story. It's a drawn out story. I mean, we could talk about American religion, but it would take us quite a while to get to why it was that way. But just to say briefly, you know, you had this colony, this culture that was British that had this very top down hierarchical religious system that was fed from from britain so when you needed uh preacher you know priests to come into the churches they came from england they were trained at harvard or not harvard they were trained at oxford they're trained at cambridge they came over and then they worked in the churches in the states and then after the revolution there was no more people coming from that 
place. So they had this major vacuum of of people, especially in the Episcopal Church, which, and so, you know, colleges sprung up, you know, to try to fill this need. So Harvard and Princeton, those were all religious schools. Those were all theological colleges when they started in order to feed people into these schools. But in the meantime, there's this giant vacuum. So you had all these little smaller churches growing up and it was, they didn't want to give up power, you know, so there are all these kind of self made churches that were springing up all over the states. And it's that kind of self-made church that kind of continues on today as we see like so many strange, uh, you know, you can drive around even our own city of Vancouver, you can drive around and see strangely named churches, you know, the Brotherhood of the Philippians or something. And you're like, what is that? You know, the something, the Phil, Phil, Philadelphians or things like that. And you're just like, okay, I guess that's something, but you don't know what it is, but it's just like a little sect that's popped up. And he does kind of make They'll fun of that. They'll tell you if you ask. Yeah, that's right. And you yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> fill out this personality quiz first. And we'll get back to you in five days. So, Apparently, it's something that I need. So he's sort of having time. fun with that culture. Sure, that, sure. That yeah, he's culture. definitely having fun. It's different than you'd see in, in, uh, in Europe where church was very hierarchical and very, you know, very, and very, still very top down. It didn't have a, it didn't have like a, a laity that was, had some say in how the running of the church went. Right. Know? So it's, it is kind of interesting. So, yeah, so his plan was to, because Erzsi came out of scouting, you know, that was his background, that was his love, you know, he loved scouts, he loved, he supported his whole life. And a big part of scouting, in Europe particularly, was this idea of the, of the native, the Native American, the proud, noble, savage, the, you know, and a lot of the stuff they did, field craft and, and, and hunting and, 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 um, what else you'd say, like sitting around the campfire, all these sort of things like that were all kind of, you know, based in in the sort of idea of Native American culture, a romantic idea of Native American culture. So they're they're they had no sense of the reality of it. They're you know they're just they're just uh, like animal you know giving themselves animal names like yeah uh, Tintin or Erge. His name was uh, Curious Fox. That was his name when he was a scout. That was his his animal name that he was given. And uh, you know so he actually did do some research for this for this book, which is. Hard for him to do at that time. Like, so unlike Land of the Soviets, where he read one book, or The Tent in the Congo, where he read like two books, maybe. This time he read uh, a book called The History and Mores of the Indians in North America. Uh, and then he read a series of articles by this journalist named Cla- Claude Blanchard, who wrote particularly about Chicago. Mm-hmm. He also went into the like New Mexico area and talked about the, the, nat- the Native Americans there. And then, uh, but uh, what Erge was interested in were the Chicago stories, particularly because they were about Al Capone and the kind of gang, the gangland. Well, it feels like when you're seeing the Native American parts, which is, you know, uh, just again, when you're listening to this in the future, uh, where we are right now here in Canada, uh, Winnipeg right now, there's some people that want to ban this book uh, because they feel that it's, you know. Uh, it is banned. Is it actually it officially banned. banned? It's been banned for... Um, Nine years now in, in, in Winnipeg. In Winnipeg, yeah. All right. Is, was it banned anywhere else in Canada? No. Okay. Uh, uh, it was asked to be taken off the shelves of a bookstore, a nationwide bookstore, um, but they examined it and said that it did not meet the criteria necessary to take a book off, off out of circulation. Right. But uh, it's been, it has not been circulated in, in anywhere. You cannot get it anywhere now in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the public library. Now, the system. Congo uh, one, uh, is that available in Winnipeg as well, or any idea? Because it'd be surprising if they would let that one fly. I would be surprised because it's this. never it's never been sold in Canada. Mm, okay, so I would be surprised if they had it. Right, 
Well, it just feels like when I when I look in here, because you know, again, I had never read this before, so mm-hmm. I was like, "All right, I've heard that it's been banned. Yeah. I'm ready for here we go." And it's it's basically like someone just watched some cowboy movies and went, oh, yeah. "That's what it's like." Yeah. Like there's everything <laughs> yeah. is is straight out of a cowboy movie. You know, when you say that he did research, yeah. I don't know where that research got him, you know, yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, uh, aside from perhaps burying the hatchet, maybe uh, that has not been a cowboy movie. I've not, I'm not, I'm familiar with the term, but I didn't realize yeah. you would actually bury a hatchet. And if you can't find the hatchet, you don't get to have a war, maybe. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it's yeah. all, this is all 1930s, 1940s, 1950s cowboy stuff. Uh, and uh, is it racist? Yes, of course it is, because that was the time and that was the thing, and there you go. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm of the opinion with this that uh, there should be like an extra page or something that you put in and go, "Hey, look, this was what it was back then." <laughs> yeah, and uh, do an explanation. If you're if you're you know having this as a book in school, you should have a talk before this book. Yeah, you know, and let people know uh, what's going on. Uh, but yeah, I'm not a hundred percent behind. You know. Taking it, taking it off the shelves. Well, it's a lot of movies you'd have to ban as well. Yeah, you're going to ban, start banning this you, sort you of ban representation. You ban a lot of cartoons. Of, of you ban yeah. First Nations people. And again, don't get me wrong. Is it wrong? Yeah, it's incorrect. It's wrong. It's cartoony. Now, everyone else in the book as well is cartoony. There isn't a person in the book, with the exception possibly of Tintin, who is not an idiot. Yeah, there. Everyone, everyone in this book is cartoonishly, slapstickingly uh, dumb. There's yeah. no one, you know, because it is, as I think you're saying, it's a satire at yeah. heart. Yeah. It's an action-packed satire. So everyone is going to be cartoonishly large. Unfortunately, when you get to, to a situation where you have the Native Americans in here, uh, there was no equivalent in culture at the time that you went, oh, but we have this cartoony version. But then we've got the the sensible yeah. regular version over no we don't we don't have that well that's the problem yeah. and that's why now it makes us go ugh when uh, when we're reading it yeah uh, yeah it's interesting because like I you know he and he himself felt he dropped the ball um, in terms of how he portrayed them mm-hmm. like he was not happy with with the final result but well he know. doesn't do fish or foul like he never goes fully into satire yeah. with them yeah uh, and then never makes them characters full characters yeah so it's just this you know it's just oh a cowboy movie just started and (laughs) it's nothing beyond that it's sort of like you know with the congo we didn't fully have the old you know uh, now they got a big pot and we're gonna cook them Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. we didn't we didn't go that far but almost everything in the congo one as well was well you've seen this in a movie at the time yeah this is what you would be getting in a comedy movie at the time so uh buyer beware on that Here's a big asterisk next to it. Um, but one thing about this book uh, is uh, this is the first one I think that's that that I've read of this. And again, I've just read the three. Uh, the, this one's good. This yeah. is a good it's book. It's really fun. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's a fun book. It moves along at a good pace. Yeah. Uh, and, it's uh, action-packed and action-packed and also funny mm-hmm. and has some pointed things to, to say about America of that, of that right. time. And... Yeah, it does. It does fall into cliche. I think, particularly with with the First Nations mm-hmm. portrayals, but you could say the same thing about when he goes to the the, t- the small town, and it's just a lynching party. Oh, they're dumb. Breaks hicks. out. I mean, yeah, just, absolutely. You know, those sort of things are also it's t- it, you over know, the top. Again, as well, it's not a balance so. because there's other characters in you know at, at the time that you would have been able to see fully developed characters of that type of person, yeah. whereas you wouldn't with the First Nations people. Uh, no. But they definitely no. there the pendulum does swing. To the side of you know their their dopes. Yes. Yeah. There's a very good um, 
very good documentary. It's um, about uh, the portrayal of Native Americans in uh, or First Nations people in uh, film. And I wish I could remember the title of it now. I'll try and I'll I'll put a link to it. Am I the... am I incorrect in thinking it was Rich Hall that did it, or am I wrong? I don't think so. Okay, maybe. Uh, it's quite interesting. It talks about quite a few things, including the fact that. And Erge makes a mistake here of having the, the uh, can I say Indians, having the Indians wear headbands, which they did not wear ever. The reason they wore them is, be- reason we think they wore them is because they wore them in movies to keep their wigs on. Mm-hmm. That was how the wigs were held on was with the headbands. So it's become, it's come down, down to us now as a cliche, but did not actually exist as a cultural reality. Yeah. So, and Erge continues to, you know, to keep it going here, even though he apparently read the book. But to be fair, the weird thing about, Tintin, when we're reading it, is that this wasn't his job. This, Tintin wasn't his job. This wasn't his full-time job. This was something he did as a sideline. His full-time job was as editor of Le Petit Vantiem. That was his actual job. That's what he was paid to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he edited Le Petit Vantiem. He did outside work in advertising. And, you know, so he couldn't do, like, later on, he would go into incredible detail of every book that he did. Right. Looking and finding. He kept a, a library of images that he would refer back to. He would keep things for years. He may never even use them, but he had this sort of library of ideas and things that, that he would c- can come back to and find things from. You know, he was doing Tintin. He was doing advertising work. He was designing book jackets for a Belgian publisher. He was drawing uh, another comic called The Adventures of Tim the Squirrel Out West for a, uh, for a Belgian department store called L'Innovation. He was providing uh, color, cover illustrations for Le, Le Petit Vantiem. He was also drawing Quick and Plopka for Petit Vantiem. And then he was just drawing incidental illustrations to fill out the paper. Were there no as well other, as were, as well as pr- pr- providing uh, copy? Why there were so other much? Artists, there why, were yeah, other why were there? Why why did he do so much? Just because that was his job. It wasn't well. It's his there job. Wasn't a but big... Tintin was so popular that when the last two yeah. stories ended, uh, lots of people came out to see a fictional person playing Tintin arriving back from his adventure. Like it's not like at this point he doesn't know. Tintin's popular. They yeah. know by this point they've got something good. It just seems strange that he would be doing the 97 does, other It gigs. does seem strange and I guess I think because that's what the father wanted and he didn't want to mm. uh, didn't want to disappoint father, you know? Like that's kind of I think that was, you know, he was just he was he was a person that never said no to to work. Right. And if someone wrote to him and said I need you to do a ad for shoes for me, he'd say yes. He didn't say, you know what? I got so much on my plate, I don't have time. He just would say yes automatically. He was just a workaholic. He just was. He was made to work. At what uh, at what point did he start just doing Tintin, or was that ever the case? Yes, after Le Petit Vantiem closed, um, after the Nazis invaded Belgium. Right. So, about what book would that be? Uh, it would have been, I think, after. Just thinking now, the Shooting Star would have been the last. The shooting. The the no. King Autocar Scepter, I think, would have been the last one that would have been in Le Petit Vantiem. Okay. I think. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. All right. Just curious. We'll get to that, yeah. And we don't want to jump too far ahead. No. Because we got to go through this book right yes. now. Yes, we do. Is there any other uh, information about uh, the book that you want to say before we get in, just right one, into it? Just one more thing. Please well, just do. to say that it was uh, started in uh, September 1931, mm-hmm. and it ended in October 32. So, and then uh, during, while he was, while he was uh, working on it, he got married. So that was a bit of a change because Father Wale... Uh, decreed in the offices that no one could be single. <laughs> Everyone had to get married. And so he hooked Hergé up with his secretary, this woman named Germaine uh, Keekins, uh, and she also helped out on, on Le Petit Vantiem as well. Right. And so uh, he said, you know what? You two should get married. And so Hergé 
you know, he didn't want to disappoint the father. But at the same time, he wasn't quite comfortable with this. He actually went to an abbey and uh, meditated about it for three days, just thinking about it and praying about it, I guess. Right, and, you would. And came back and he said, okay. Uh, and okay. she, the same thing, she idolized Father Wale. You know, to her, he was, this, you know, a father figure and an idol, and she couldn't say no to him. So he married them uh, on July 21st, 1932. He married the two of them. Right. And uh, for her for her part, she later admitted that that, you know, although there was appreciation, they mutually appreciated each other, there was never any love in their relationship. They just merely did it to please someone else. Uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, they stayed together for quite a while, but it did eventually end. As you do. Such yeah. a thing could just not... But, was the father gone by the point that they uh, separated? Was, yeah, I think he's... Maybe that was for the best. <laughs> I'm uh, liking but this... But she was... I'm she, liking this father less and less the more you tell me about him. He was an interesting character. Yeah, obviously very, very uh, charismatic. Megalomaniac. Very yeah. charismatic. Very yeah. much, yeah. You say charisma- charismatic, charismatic, I say megalomaniac. <laughs> Forcing people to get married who don't love each very other. Despotic. Making people work too hard when they've uh, <laughs> achieved success in one field and really should be focusing on that. Yes. Yeah. And see, it's funny because it was Jermaine, his wife, she actually kept him focused on, on Tintin. Because she knew that's where the value of what he was doing was. And she actually tried to dissuade him from doing commercial work. And she said, you know, I know it pays now. I know it pays more than what you're doing with Tintin right now. But this is where, this is what's going to make you. This mm-hmm. is what's going to make you great. And it's not like she was psychic. No. It's like she was a historian no. and just saw that recently, yeah. both of these stories that you've done, these full stories, have been yeah. very successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sort of is like coming getting, in. It's and you're com- only getting better, right? It's like uh, it's like coming in on like the Beatles' third album and going, "Fellas, I think you might be going somewhere." <laughs> oh, you mean with all the number one hit singles? You might be. <laughs> so maybe quit your job uh, shoeing horses and quit your job fixing roofs and cleaning gutters. Are you sure? Because I think I should do all these jobs. No, just be in the Beatles. So okay, just to say so. So yeah. He later contemplated doing another story in America. Right. By the way, nothing against people shoeing horses. Dave has done that job. Please continue. I have done that job. Okay. Uh, shoe horses, not shoot them. Just to want to clarify that. I've had a lot of people look at me twice when I say... Like, anyway, so yeah, he did want to do another story based in America. He wanted to do it more about, the, more about First Nations. He wanted to be more, way more sympathetic than what he managed the first time. And he knew this, uh, this, this guy, his name is Father Gall. And he lived in a, he was a Cistercian monk. He lived in this monastery and he was mad for Indian culture. Like he actually could speak Sioux. He'd never been to the States. He could speak and write Sioux because he could write, write to them back and forth. He had a Sioux name. His name was Lakota Ishnala, which meant lonely Sioux. Mm-hmm. And he had like all this paraphernalia that they'd sent him of He was a peace lonely pipes. Sioux. He was the only one he that's knew. Just, that's right. He had yeah. peace pipes and, and and he had like full Indian dress, you know, a headdress with yeah. all the feathers and stuff. All this the gifts that they'd sent him and you know, he was had a real connection to them. He really liked liked them, but he'd never been there and went and never went. Oh. In his whole life because he, he was a monk. He lived lived in a monastery. And uh, so he befriended Hergé and and so when Hergé decided that, you know, he was thinking about doing this story. He asked Father Gall to, you know, maybe give him some information. So Father Gall sent him like these six closely written pages that's full of information about the Sioux. And uh, unfortunately, Hergé changed his mind. He did Tintin in Tibet instead and never went back to that idea. But uh, another link was that Father Gall, uh, because of his connection to the Sioux, he knew about this uh, American infantryman who was uh, Sioux. And he had, le- he had deserted and had ret- because he was homesick, 
he left and he came back about two weeks later back to the base and he was arrested and was sentenced for execution. And so Father Gall didn't know who to turn to. So he turned to Hergé and you know, said, well, you're kind of famous. Would you help us? So Hergé wrote to, the gen- you know, to them and, tried and pleaded for this guy's life. And eventually he was uh, you know, released and not given. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so that was lucky. So, so yeah. No, that's, wow. Okay. So that's, good, go. uh, that's good history, my friend. So let's get to the story now. All right. Sounds good. So um, <laughs> this one just, this, this one starts with a very funny image. Just talking about how in Chicago, 1931, uh, gangsters, <laughs> gangsters rule the city. Yeah. And you see a, uh, an obvious uh, criminal going by in a mask, holding a gun, holding, I think, some loot, and a police officer is uh, saluting him. Yes. So we're starting yeah. with a good little editorial cartoon. That's there. right. It's like an editorial cartoon. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, then we've got uh, Al Capone, who we've, we heard about in uh, the Congo. Yeah. It was weird when you heard about him in the Congo, though. That yeah. seemed really jammed it's, in at the end. It seemed weird. Yeah. But, you know, if you understand the, the context, you understand why. Completely. You understand why he crammed it in there. This well, is a kind of a like guarantee. What they do I'm some, going to America. Yeah. What they do sometimes now with a movie where uh, over the credits, all of a sudden, you'll see an extra scene. Yeah. And they'll tease an upcoming uh, thing with that. And you'll go, I have no idea who that character is. Yeah. Who's that guy floating on a magical chair? And then some people are like, going, oh, I get it. And like, who? I'll go and look on the internet later. But yeah, <laughs> Al Capone was in behind all the stuff in the Congo. Yeah. All right. And so now we're going to deal with that. And this is the first Tintin story that opens with him disembarking from a train rather than getting on a train. Ah. So that's that's interesting as well. So he's he's arriving. There's no send-off. Nope. There's no uh, gang of journalists sending off the famous journalist, although he's still referred to as a reporter in this story. So, And I think as long as he was associated with Le Petit Vantiem, that reporter tag was kind of kept there as, you know, because the names of the stories were uh, The Adventures of Tintin, Report reporter for Liberty Vantiem. Yeah, in Chicago. That was the original title who, of this book. Who never takes notes and never takes never photographs. Takes photographs. You know, it's ba- yeah, it's uh, the Adventures of Tintin. Take his word yeah. that all these things happened. Yeah, yeah. And the one time you see him actually writing, he writes enough copy to fill like six phone books. <laughs> That's true. You He's know, a- like who is going to edit that into a? He is a hard worker. Yeah. It's like it's Hunter S. Thompson, you know, fa- telexing in his... Uh... To be fair, when was the last time you saw Clark Kent write a story? You really mm-hmm. didn't, you know? But you just took uh, took it that he was. Okay, so Tintin gets off the train, gets into a cab, yes. and we're right in... Like, they, this this just goes immediately into it. Yeah, I mean... Here's this... the villain, panel two. He's telling, <laughs> get Tintin, kill yeah. Tintin. There is a lot of text in that panel. Yeah. But then it's pretty much very little text after that, and it just moves along at a great little clip. So he gets into the cab, but it turns out it's uh, it's not a real... Well, it is a real cab, but uh, but he gets locked in. Uh, the shutters come down, and it uh, looks like he's trapped and being taken somewhere. So they're just really just getting right to it. Yeah. Yeah. Why hesitate? And Well, he, he who hesitates is dead. That's what happens. Uh, and But luckily, uh, Tintin uh, brought a little saw with him and uh, gets his way out of there. What's interesting about this page to me is that it feels... It must have been two pages originally. Because that feels like a uh, like a page ender. Like that feels like it was two pages. It ends with him trapped in the cab. Right. And then next week you find out what happened. Well, by you the know? way, I don't think we've mentioned that we uh, will be doing spoilers through this. So if you haven't read yeah. the story yet, we may be spoiling it for you. We've just spoiled it for everyone. Okay. We've spoiled the first two pages. Yes, we spoiled the first. Okay. So uh, because yeah, if you because when he was doing the when he was doing the Tintin for Le Petit Vatiem, it was two pages every week. Right. So. 
each every second page should have a some sort of a cliffhanger, cliffhanger or yeah. some sort of something tease. yeah a little tease of what's coming up so so to me this feels like it should have been two pages because uh like it probably wouldn't have had the huge tintin in america along the top that it has here that that wouldn't have run so it would have been i just feel like he's compressed a lot of information down into uh one page yep could very well be uh so uh tintin does his first escape yes this is what tintin's known for he gets uh he gets captured mm -hmm. and he escapes you know, it's very 1930s serial. Yeah. You know, uh, again, as you've said, a lot of cliffhangers. Yeah. And this does not disappoint. We are starting villain, a nice bit of satire into the villain. Yeah. Get the guy. They get the guy. He escapes. And we are on page two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we are yeah. moving along. Uh, and Tintin hails uh, down some police officers coming by. And unlike most of the times Tintin meets a police officer, the police officer believes him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a bit of a change, actually, because... Uh... Most times in the story, the police officers believe him. The only time they don't, they do believe him, but the only time they're not so helpful is when they're actually gangsters pretending to be police well, officers. yeah. I mean, the situation with Tintin is odd in that when he's when you want him to be famous, he is. If someone if he mentions his name, it's like, oh, the famous yeah. Tintin reporter yeah. for Le Petit Ventien. Uh But when the police, when he goes up to the police, it's always, get out of here, you punk, slap. You know, they <laughs> not don't... necessarily. There is, they do, they do know him because... Later. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, not to spoil that. So the police officers do believe him and they're going after the kidnapper's car. Uh, and the guy says, well, no, I just, uh, I'm not, I'm not a bad guy. I just uh, got paid money to kidnap you. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an interesting sliding moral compass. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's basically caught by the police and, uh, but then he gets a boomerang in the face. Yeah. That's, that's a strange choice of, of weapon yes. for the United States. Yeah. He may have been mixed up over what country yeah, once the again, boomerang uh, was a famous. There's a thug hiding behind the one tree yeah. that there is. You've seen no other trees. Uh, but he, he found the one tree is hiding behind it with his boomerang. Yeah. I uh, threw it at the thug's face, knocking him unconscious, goes back to him, and then he steals the police officer's uh, motorcycle. What's, what's best about the boomerang, though, is the fact that it strikes the thug in the face and does not lose any momentum. No. It's able to carry on and swing back around into the hands of the... Uh... It's a cartoon boomerang. Yes. There are cartoon laws of physics that are going on. Uh, you know, Tintin is not having any of this business. They uh, hop into the cab together. He's riding shot, literally riding shotgun. Yeah. With a pistol, I guess. Yeah. Uh, with Snowy as well on the... Yeah. On they're on the running, they're on the running board, I believe it's called. That's and, right. And, uh, yeah, I like how the police are letting him do that. <laughs> like how often, you know, you see in movies where the police are like, no, no, you stay here. You're just a civilian. You know, and the guy has to like insist on coming along or whatever. Well, I in this also, case, they're not only letting him come. They're letting him ride on the side of the well, car. Here's the other thing. Now, Tintin is at about what age in the 17? Well, I mean, let's I don't think just he say. ever ages. Okay, really, but so. he's a pr he's a teenage boy. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you've got a teenage boy on your running thing. Yeah. You're the police officer, and you say, "Hey, take my gun and shoot." Yeah. And all right, that's what you do as a to, as a police. To officer. be fair. 17 was a little older in those days than it is now. But. Yeah, it's the kind of age where you give a guy your gun if you're yeah. a police officer. Yeah. There is no age, by the way, that that is now. No, At no. no point does a police officer go, take my gun, I don't, good luck. I don't think it happened then either. No, nope, probably not. <laughs> I don't think at all. And now a great, uh, just a great bit of dynamic cartooning here, the sequence of, of yeah, him writing on the running board, this great shot of like this, uh, this you know, perspective shot of them heading down the road, chasing the motorcycle. This red car comes out of out of nowhere and smashes into the police or into the cab. The, the police are driving and just yeah, where's Tintin? <laughs> yeah, the question. Cause... Well, you're normally uh, in the previous books. Tintin will not be hurt by anything. No, 
No. That is not what happens here. Yeah, no, no. Everyone's looking at Tintin on a stretcher. Yeah. Uh, you know, saying, poor, poor kid. kid. Yeah. He looks so young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and no, here's who I think would feel bad about this. The police officer who set him up for this bit. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. like, here's what we're going to do. Here's your gun. Stand on my running, stand on the running board. Let's go get him. Now, but we're never going to see that police officer again, so it doesn't no, matter. No, well, judging from the accident, I think he's dead. Do you think the police officer yeah, died? I think he's Oh, jeez. Okay. Tintin was lucky to be on the outside of the car. So, and we cut to some days later. He's coming out of the hospital. This is the first time we see the familiar, what will now become familiar, uh, handwriting uh, to write in, like, the captions along the top, the sort of meanwhile or later on or things like that. Oh, okay. This is the first, this is the first book we see this in. Okay. So, uh, directly outside of the hospital is where you cross the street. Uh, unfortunately, that's also where the trap door is located. This yes. is elaborate. This is now. I know that the criminals run the town. They run the town. No, they run the town. They design the town. No kidding. They engineered the town. They engineered the town. Now it's it is possible that Tintin has been in the hospital for a number of days, and they have taken this amount of days to build a trap door in front of the hospital. Yeah. So that when he comes out of the hospital and has to cross the street, that's when they'll strike. Sure. It seems elaborate. It does. Seems like too much trouble because really he doesn't have he has his back to them. They could just approach him from behind, and well, I guess there's a policeman standing there, so it would be difficult. But you know what? He's trying to catch a cab, so they could just do the same trick again. Yeah, that is true. Uh, he and he doesn't have his case with his little saw this time, so there'd be no way of doing that. <laughs> That's right. But he falls down the trap door. Two thugs are down there, knock him unconscious. Yeah. Uh, no one notices Snowy though. They take him up to uh, their thug lair, put him on a comfortable couch. And that's when we meet Al Capone. Yes. We've seen him earlier, but now uh, he's, uh, he's he's saying what his plan is. Or at least he's bragging about who he is. Uh, he's uh, Al Capone, king of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, gives the guy uh, who, who got him there uh, a big wad of cash. Yeah. And then pays another guy to kill Tintin, pays him less money. <laughs> so there's more money in getting uh, the guy than there is in yeah. killing the guy. To be fair, there was two of them who got him. True. Only one guy's killing him. Right. And, and to be fair, also, the person who's giving the big wad of money, he had to build a trap door. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, he had to shut down a, a city street, yeah. uh, build a trap Bring door. Bring in a fake public works department. Yeah, trap. really elaborate. Yeah. So, there you go. So, the guy's about to kill Tintin. Does the usual thing when you're going to kill someone counts it down? Right. And, and you kill him when he's on the couch yeah. Yeah. as well. So, you're going to ruin your couch. There's a lot of problems with this. Uh, but he's standing... Okay. So they built this thug lair yeah. uh, that leads from the trap door yeah. directly up to thug lair. Yeah. Uh, they, the, now, the thug lair is, is a nice thug lair because it's got a mantle with two vases on it. Yes. Very heavy vases. Not just, not just, a, not just a mantelpiece. It's a, quite, it's a tall fire. It's about a seven-foot tall mantelpiece. Now, it's not that Al Capone isn't rich. He could no. buy... At, you know, we all, right. we all have heard about you know, uh, Al Capone's vault. We've heard about Al Capone's secret lairs that are, are apparently, you know, yeah. that's a thing. So this would be one of those. Fair enough. Yeah. And Al Capone must like heavy vases. Snowy goes up, knocks one of the vases on top of the uh, crook's head. Yeah. Knocks him out. Very much so. Good for Snowy. Snowy is taking a nice... If it wasn't for Snowy, Tintin would be dead at this point. And I like that he uses his paw and not just his nose. <laughs> that's right. He does. He's more cat-like in that situation. Then. And he says, thanks, Snowy. You saved my life. Again. It was a regular occurrence with Snowy. Yes. He knows, you know what, Snowy know. if you want to get Snowy on side, butter his bread. <laughs> Snowy is an egotistical dog. So uh, uh, the guy wakes up, 
picks up a second but let's before we go there let's just mention like the keyhole like we have a keyhole view which i think erge borrowed from the from films Mm -hmm. this sort of that idea of peeking peeping through the the keyhole and having but i think it would probably have been pretty innovative in comics to do sure to to use that technique of the keyhole uh and i do like when he innovates i think uh, you'll see if there's a few cases in here i think where he's very innovative in his and in some of the things he does so while Tintin is looking through the keyhole, the thug wakes up, mm-hmm. picks up your second vase. Yes. He's about to throw it. But uh, luckily at that point, Al Capone comes in the room and yeah. gets a face full of vase. Yeah. yeah. I, but, and Tintin gets the door in the face. That is, oh, just, he does. That's true. He, I was wondering why there were so many stars there, but I realized, oh, because he's getting it in the... I love the stars used as for pain. I well, I also like that all the stars are different colors. Mm-hmm. When you see a North American comic where there's stars above someone's head, it's always the same... Color yeah. star. This is yeah. a nice. Yeah, it's very yeah nice. why not? And and Tintin uses a move he used earlier in another comic, which is the uh, throwing himself right into the guy's midsection. Yeah, yeah, that's great. that's the Tintin move. If you got that weird hair, uh, that'll that'll help like knock a guy right out. <laughs> um, so he gets a, he gets. Oh, by the way, I, something I, I I missed earlier. Um, now this is Pietro that's doing this. Yeah, and he uses an expression that someone will use later on. Which is, I got to get my own back. Sure is, my name is Pietro. Yes. Remember that, folks. That will be coming back later on. Uh, Straight out of gangster movies. Right. Now, Tintin's hiding uh, using the only bit of curtain that's uh, there. This is one of those things. Um, uh, the, The room is very spartan. Yes. You look at this enormous room, and you'll see one chair far, far in a corner. Yeah. Uh, but all the things you need for a fight or to hide are available when needed. Yes. It is, if you're a Harry Potter fan, this is the room of requirement. Uh, it, things will appear when necessary, and Tintin needs a, a bit of drapes, Yeah. you know, to, uh, to hide behind. And you know how you normally keep a bit of drapes next to your door? Well, that's where he, that's where he goes. Yes, this is before... Uh... Drawn, well, no, I guess it was drawn. No, this was drawn before Hergé had uh, the full studio, so sometimes the backgrounds could be a little Spartan. Yeah, yes. nothing wrong with that. Uh, ties up Capone and uh, the goon, uh, bashes another goon over the head with a chair. Uh, I like that Tintin is hiding, waiting to hit the guy. Uh, the guy's coming around the corner, and Snowy's talking to him. Yeah. Now, this lets me know that Snowy is not barking in a way that Tintin understands. Yeah. Tintin just understands Snowy. Yeah. Because otherwise, the thug would go, oh, there's a dog, one, a talking dog, mm. or two, oh, there's a barking dog, and he would not come around the corner. I'm curious to get to the next story, but I believe this is the last story where Tintin understands Snowy. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so he knocks the guy out, goes, uh, I guess, back up the stairs and into the street, uh, finds a police officer. Now, here's a tip. Uh, if you're doing this, what Tintin's doing in modern day, if you're going up to a police officer, don't hold a gun. <laughs> by the way, the cop does not in any way mind that Tintin is holding a gun. Yeah. That does not bother the police well, gangsters officer. Gangsters rule the city. That is true. Uh, and he says, uh, quick officer, I've just caught Al Capone myself and two of his gangsters. Well, that, that police officer should be happy about that, yeah. I suppose. Of course. What happens? Does he hit him with a billy club? Yep. Just knocks Tintin <laughs> with a billy club because he thinks he's crazy. <laughs> uh, calls more police officers to come get Tintin. Uh, Tintin escapes, and now he's on the run from the cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, police officers in the in the world of Tintin do not get smarter over time, do they? Because we're going to have the Thompson uh, Thompson and Thompson in later later uh, uh, issues, and and they're not the brightest police officers either, are they? Uh, no. Okay. 
No, Fair but it's, here's the thing. I mean, this is tell me the thing. This is a, this is a cliche for all for all these sort of adventure stories and, and things like that. Is that if the police officer were competent, you wouldn't need amateur sleuths like Tintin or Sherlock Holmes True. or the Hardy Boys or anyone else. Tuxie Belden, you name name your poison, any one of them. If you had a competent or if adults listen to them or whatever, the the story would end very quickly. Right. So. Fair enough. So uh, he, he gives the cops the slip. Yes. Uh, goes to his... Well, first of all, gets a nice refreshing drink for Snowy. Mm-hmm. Snowy drinks the drink with a straw. Really yes. impresses the guy who sold him the and drink. And it looks like he has a black eye, which is not explained. Oh, that's true. Yeah, how did Snowy get a black eye? Yeah, weird. Uh, okay, fair enough. Not explained. And then in the next panel, it's gone. Yeah. Which could have been a different week. So who knows? Uh, he's, going, um, he's going up to uh, his hotel room. They saved his reservation, even though he's not been there for a couple of days yeah. in the hospital. Yes. <laughs> Again, not sure Tintin's level of fame. Yeah. You know? Uh, okay. So, uh, Bellboy takes him up to his room. Luckily- yeah, I'm, I'm worried if I'm a couple of hours late. Yeah. I'm phoning ahead. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Put oh, my room, please. You think like he'd call from the hospital or something to his hotel room, but yeah. fair enough. Uh, he goes up to his room. Uh, there's some nice fresh cut flowers there, which I suppose they're replacing every day because they didn't put those there on the first day because they'd be oh, dead by now. I assume they came with the letter he's getting. Okay. I, I just uh, I thought a, two separate He's things. getting a threatening letter. Why don't you tell me about the letter? He's getting a threatening letter and then a nice uh, bouquet of, of, looks like roses, actually. No, not roses. No, maybe carnations. But uh, yeah, he gets a warning letter telling <laughs> telling him a schedule. He's got like, you know, you can take the... You can take a train in New York at 11.55, be on it. Then you can take a boat to Europe. doesn't have the time for the, the boats leaving, so I assume that. Hmm. But uh, yeah, quit Chicago by noon tomorrow or your life won't be worth a plug nickel. So I, I really like the Americanisms that are kind of sprinkled throughout this. So, okay, just to, again, be clear on this. Mm-hmm. So do you think what happened was uh, in the time that Tintin knocked out Al Capone, a yeah. different thug came and dropped this note off or yeah. was this there before he had the thing with Al Capone and there was two plans and the and the one plan was I'm going to make a trap door and by the way if he gets to his hotel second plan I'm going to threaten him because by this point Al Capone is tied up right no I oh, think Al Capone uh, got out yeah sent this yeah. note well I think there's different people working on at you know a they're not all like coordinated the way you're thinking. This is before cell phones. So no, I understand. But here's Al this Cap- guy sitting. Here's a gangster sitting in the in the the lobby. He sees Tintin come in. He may have planted the letter already. Already. And he's there to see. Yeah. So he's gone in, put the letter there. Now he's waiting to see what's going to happen. Because it seems a weird passage of time here. And again, I'm I, I'm definitely picking nits. But uh, Tintin knocks out Al Capone, or ties up Al Capone. Yeah. Immediately goes to the police officer. Police officer doesn't believe him. Yeah. Police officer chases him. Uh, it gives him the slip. Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that, he sees Snowy. Snowy nights a, needs a nice drink. Yeah. Goes immediately after that to his hotel room. Yeah. And there's a threatening letter there. Threatening letter From there. From who? And the weird thing is, it says, this is your last warning. And then... What a warning? You just tried to murder me. We passed <laughs> warning three blocks ago. But here's the thing. He gets his letter. It's the last warning. There's immediately... What's the first warning? The murder? There's immediately <laughs> a guy in the in the hotel room to kill him. Yeah. So what? How long is he? Like, what kind of time limit are on warnings here? Like, to me, if I warn someone about something, to me, it would be polite to give them time to react to the warning and skedaddle. You know what? I think. But no. Yeah, it's right there. It wouldn't even make sense with the warning. Sorry, if it was waiting for him when he first was at the when he first was at the thing. Uh, oh no! Oh boy, I don't know. You you try and figure out a timeline with this, folks. See if it all makes sense. Wasn't the first warning though in the Congo? 
Oh, that could be. I think he was worn there, wasn't Fair he? Fair enough. Yeah. So they could have set this up for him when he gets there. And then along the way, they just went, listen, let's also kidnap him. Let's also do all this other business and see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so this guy's trying to kill him in his hotel room. Tintin spots him in a mirror mm-hmm. uh, and decides to uh, climb out his window. It's a, This is a really nice scene. Oh, it's beautifully done. Uh, yeah, where he's climbing out his window, and you really get that uh, nice uh, Great perspective. perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sneaks up and through another window. And a real and... sense of of peril too. Yes, he's climbing his this with his shoe uh, tucked into the crevice of the brick. You know, so it's not even sitting on a on a ledge or anything. So yeah, it's a real real yes, wonderfully and done. Sneaks up behind the guy with the gun. Somehow gets the gun off him. Not quite <laughs> sure how that happens, but yeah. he did, uh, and calls the police. Uh, oh, no, no, he has his own gun. The guy drops his gun in fright. Oh. Oh, Tintin was just packing a gun. Yeah. So Tintin could have just shot the guy anyway. Well, why would he do that? He's Tintin. He doesn't yeah, just fair m- murder people in cold blood. I don't, well, I don't think it's cold blood if there's a guy coming to your, ho- your hotel room to kill you. That's not cold blood. But if you can capture him and arrest him right. instead of killing him, I think Let's that's... Let's not confuse that with cold blood. That would be self-defense. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> When your assassin is in the room with you. Yeah, but you, when you're behind him, it's no longer self-defense. Yeah, it is still. If the guy's trying to kill you, yes, it's still self-defense. Okay. I so. think, Your Honor, uh, what happened? Uh, my assassin was in the room with me. Oh, I see. How Why come was you he shot there? him in the back? How by, exactly uh, was he threatening and, and, you? and are you sure he was there to kill you? Well, uh, someone tried to kill me earlier. There's a note saying, uh, I'm dead if I don't go. Uh-huh. And then there's an assassin in the room. I don't know. I'd like a little bit more evidence, please. <laughs> so uh Tintin calls the front desk to get the police in there. Mm-hmm. Uh police come, pick him up, take him to the police office. <laughs> uh, police office? That yeah. doesn't make sense. That's does it? Police office. That's why they're called police officers. Right. They work in an office. Police station. They're uh, not called police stationers. <laughs> that's true. Though they do use police stationery. <laughs> that's true. So uh you can tell it's the police because there's a sign on the door. <laughs> That says police. Yes. That's hanging on a bit of string. Yes. <laughs> As the police think, usually have. You think this world famous journalist slash detective would notice. I don't know if he's a detective. Glaring... I'm going to say he's a journalist, but I would not call Tintin yeah. a detective no, you're right. by any stretch of the imagination. No. It's pretty much stumbles from one thing to another. Well, we've stumbled ourselves on the GSC, which stands for The Gangster Syndicate of Chicago. Yeah. It's Very... well known. Everyone knows about it. Right. I guess. Oh, I see. They've just enlarged. It's kind of a it's kind of weirdly done that. It's kind of weirdly done. It's just a big a big word balloon pointing at the sign saying gangster syndicate cuz the sign just says GSC. Right. Wouldn't it have made more sense to put gangster syndicate of Chicago on the door? I guess that would have made the police sign too big. <laughs> sure, that's the problem with it. Also, <laughs> if you're a gangster, don't put your sign on the door saying criminals inside. Yeah. You know, crime incorporated probably isn't a good thing to put on your door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anywho, uh here is something that happens to Tintin a lot. He's offered money. Mm-hmm. Regularly, people offer Tintin large amounts of cash to do things, whether it's to uh, report for their paper yeah. or to fight Al Capone in this case or <laughs> anything else. Anything else. They like throwing a lot of money at this kid, and sure. the kids like saying no. Yeah. Well, uh, say no and drawing his gun. Right. Now, uh, <laughs> what I, I love his name, though. I love the name of this gangster because he he's sort of the – he's Al Capone is there as sort of a historically interesting character, but he's not really a big part of the story. It's this guy, Bobby Smiles, mm-hmm. who's the real villain of the, well, of the, the story. Well, you run into a Hitler problem here, which is um, in, a, in 1940s comics, you could have your hero punch Hitler, yeah. kick Hitler, yeah. but he can't beat Hitler yeah. because there's still Hitler. That's right. And you can't beat Al Capone 
because Al Capone is still around. Yeah. So we need a Bobby Smiles so we can actually have someone to beat. Yeah. But isn't that a great name? It is a really good name. Yeah. It's the same name in, in the French version as well, Bobby Smiles. And he's smiling. Yeah. He's a very friendly looking guy. He sure think, is. You know, but, uh, but oh my gosh, he is not friendly at all. So uh, Tintin. Even uh, when he drops Tintin down through another, uh, yet another, another trap, tra- trap door, yeah. Well, we know that the gangsters here can build trap doors quickly and efficiently. <laughs> he's still smiling. Right. So they drop Tintin down. Uh, and uh, he lands. He lands on his butt. Now, frankly, the the height of the ceiling in this, uh, I think Tintin could just get back up out of that with like a, a just one little jump. That wouldn't be too hard. It hurts me to say this, but it's the some of the worst drawn smoke I've ever seen in my life. Because <laughs> uh, well, it's not smoke, Dave. It's gas. But yeah, this is not very. I don't know. I just don't like how Erge did that. Okay. It doesn't well, have. It doesn't have an Erge feel to it. All right. He's uh he's tricked he's trapped he's uh covers his mouth with a handkerchief, uh but no no dice uh he is knocked unconscious by this gas sure sure uh, so a couple of gangsters take him out uh to the docks throw him in the water that's the end of Tintin <laughs> and that was the end of the story yeah it was short uh Hergé, he sure could draw a knight he could sure draw people a knight like he just, it is very beautiful his use of like the, the chiaroscuro is uh, really well done uh. I would like, and it's good water when he throws them into the water. It's someone, a nice, uh, nice splash. Yeah, that's good too. If someone published these books in black and white, I would buy them just to look at his his line work and stuff. Right now, we we uh, we now have the first instance of Bobby smiles and how he swears. He yes. swears using names of prisons. Yes, which that's, is great. It's like fun, Sing Sing Alcatraz. Yeah. It's a it is a fun. Uh, uh, and he uh, he's angry at the uh, thugs because they gave Tintin the wrong gas. They gave him sleeping gas. Instead of this other gas. Yeah. And so uh, the cold water they threw him into will probably wake him up. So, well, it's time for the thugs to go back and check on Tintin, see if he's dead or not. And, well, he's behind them. He tells them to reach for it. They hand over their guns. And then he reveals that he no longer has a gun. <laughs> I don't know why he doesn't have a gun anymore, though. Because Tintin... Oh, I guess he dropped his gun when he went down the trap door and he decided yeah. not to pick it up. Yeah. You know what well, else? Well, he was, he was asphyxiating on gas, so... Well, always pick up your gun anyway, Tintin, just in case. <laughs> just in case. You never know what's going to happen, Tintin. Right. So Tintin uh, summons the police officers uh, with a, a shot in the air. Yes. You know, which was the 911 call of the time. Yeah. And, uh, again, things just uh, worked out good. This is uh, the Chicago Tribune. Has a story about the, the you know, reporter get, grabs the gangsters. Sensation. Read all about it. Full story. Uh, get your Chicago Tribune here. Not really great for the Petit Vantiam that uh, they've been scooped by the old <laughs> Chicago Tribune, but Tintin. at least Tintin's okay. So uh, Tintin goes back to his hotel where the assassin was earlier, I assume. Uh, I assume he's back to his hotel and sits by the window reading a paper. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, there's a sniper. Yeah, a sniper with a machine gun, which is like <laughs> yes. the least the least effective way to try and shoot someone at a distance is with a machine gun, since only your you first might... shot is any in any way accurate. All the rest of them, your hand is being pulled off by the the back, you know, by the is it called backfire, whatever the uh, the recoil. The yeah. recoil of the gun is is just wrecking your aim. So did they have why? sniper rifles back then? Yeah, of course they did. Well, then uh, this is dumb. Okay. Have you ever seen uh, what's it called, Quigley Down Under? <laughs> He's got a sniper rifle in that. The Tom Selleck movie? Yeah. Never mentioned Quigley Down Under in this podcast again. <laughs> so, I'm just saying he has a... He has a... Uh, oh, never mind. So uh, he shoots up uh, Tintin pretty good. And uh, it's actually nice how polite uh, they are with each other, uh, Mr. Smiles and the thug. You know, Mr. Smiles, how much do I owe you? Usual fee, no extras, $1,000. 
Uh, and then the thug goes, hope I've given satisfaction. Sorry I can't stay. Got three more clients to take care of this morning. So long. And smiles. Goodbye. Yeah. Just very polite. Yeah. It's business as usual. Sure. Top of the morning to you. See you at the Christmas party. Yeah. All yeah. right. Give yeah. Helen my love. And yeah. off he goes. Well, it is a syndicate. It's not just a, it's not just a gang. This is business. That's true. They have worked together before. They will work together again. So I imagine that was the cliffhanger for the, for the week. Yeah, it looks like Tintin is dead. Yeah, he's gone. He's no done two for. ways about it. This is it. Maybe it's just going to be the adventures of Snowy from now on. And then we, we come back again and we've, we turn the page or look up to the top and we discover that Tintin had set up a dummy. Right. Tintin uh, luckily had bought uh, uh, clothing that looks exactly like the clothing he was currently wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a dummy yep. that looks just like him. Uh, dressed him up. Probably bought them all at the same store. <laughs> Probably did. A little store called Dummy Up. Uh, they will make a dummy that looks just like you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he uh, got he watched his dummy get shot up. Tintin thinks, by the way, uh, sorry, Snowy thinks, by the way, this was a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Snowy is not one to shower praise lightly. No. So good for him. In fact, he wants to keep using dummies for the rest of the adventure. <laughs> he does. And for all we know, they do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the next morning, which again is handwritten, uh, you know, uh, the, it's now Tintin is undercover. And uh, going for a drive, and uh, it's got a sting operation uh, in place. Uh, the uh, the the goons come out uh, with guns, and uh, but hey, hey, who's in the back of the truck? The cops. Police. That's right. The only uh, straight cops apparently in Chicago. Yeah. Well, they're willing to salute the criminals, but if they can catch them, they will. Yeah, I don't quite get this. It's, it's like like are the cops on the side of the criminals? Or are they not? Yeah. Yeah, anyway, the police, you know, or maybe it's a Gotham situation where once Commissioner Gordon starts, you know, uh, being straight, they all go, yeah, let's uh, straighten out. And by the time Batman shows up, they're like, yeah, we're all, we're all good cops now. Sure. So, uh, shake, uh, shake Mr. Tintin's hand. Everything's working out, but, uh, showering Tintin with too much praise and Mr. Smiles gets away. Yeah. It's, uh, kind of odd that he's allowed to escape. You think with how many policemen that are there, they could capture the, uh, so they have, there's six policemen, well, eight, including Tintin, against against five gangsters, and yet he's able to get into a car, which looks like a Bugatti, kind of like what's <laughs> yeah. Snoopy driving, and drives away in his race car. Yep. There he goes. Uh, nice swear, though, from the, uh, from, the, from the police officer who yells, Suffering Catfish. Yes. It looks like yeah. uh, Haddock is being uh, foreshadowed there. <laughs> I think this is more the translator. Because is, is, uh, in the French version, uh, Bobby Smiles does not use the prison uh, swears. Oh, does he? he? Yeah, he just says tonnerre, which is kind of like a common like thunder or whatever. You know? Oh, well, uh, good call uh, on the English translation. Yeah, that. good job. I, may, I said the wrong names last time. I said the names of the people who translate uh, uh, t- uh, asterisks. So it's actually was done by Leslie Lonsdale Cooper and Michael Turner. Okay. They uh, translated all these books and did a very good job. All right. These are the British translations. The American ones are different, actually. And so we're now getting to... Oh, should I say that? What's that? I shouldn't say that. What? Because I don't know that that's for sure. I said it like I knew it was a fact, but all right. Well, let's I might look be talking through my hat. I'll have to all look right. it up. I know that's the case with asterisks, but I, I don't know. You if... know what? Uh, take that as a maybe, yes. everybody out there. Take it with a grain of salt. You please. know the device that you're listening to this on? It will also be able to tell you whether or not that is true. Yes. If Dave's full of baloney. Please do fact check us. By the way, if we get something wrong and you fact check us and you're correct, uh, we'll send you something. Let's go with that. Okay. And Dave will send you something from his own home. Maybe a pillow from his couch. Yes. Uh, maybe a fork 
uh, from his drawer. No, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll send you something good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's now time for Tintin to go to the uh, sadly named Redskin City. Yep, yeah. there you go. Uh, that's the first of one of those. You ready for it? Everyone take a breath. And that's where we are. I okay. guess it's a. I guess it's sort of a play on the idea like Sioux City. Do you think that's? I think it's a joke on that. Maybe? I don't think it's a joke, but I think he. I don't. They didn't. It's just. It's an on the nose name, I guess. Yeah, and for for Hergé at that time, it was not considered a derogatory name. It was considered a name, a noble name. They were noble. They were noble savages. They were redskins. You mm-hmm. know, they called themselves the Scouts. Called themselves redskins. You know, they dressed up like Indians and they were redskins. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't think of it. To them, it had no. It didn't have a bad idea. To them, it had good connotations. You know, you're talking about. I think it originally Indian. didn't, and then it was reclaimed as good, and then it went bad again. I think that's. I think when you look at. Oh, the original, I think. Yeah. I, but I think here's the thing, though, is when we're talking about a European experience right. of, of Native American culture and a, and a North American experience, are two totally different things. One is one is not at all romantic, and the other one is a very idealized romantic. V- well, it depends. It depends. I mean, again, it looks to me like in this that it was all gotten from uh, American movies. Like, there's nothing that I see here that you would not see in, you know, uh, a movie serial. Oh, it's you. I mean, even today, like the idea of like like Indians is huge in Germany. Mm-hmm. Just huge. There was a writer there. Um, I wish I could think. His last name was May. And he wrote like all tons of books, tons of books about the Wild West, and all had all these stories about his his adventures there and stuff like that. He actually never left Germany uh, at the time. But he just was writing these stories from his imagination, just using the stereotypes of the time, you know, which people did. I mean, let's face it, you know, the time that cowboys actually existed was probably like five or six mm-hmm. years, you know. So all the stories and all this mythology we have around this time period is based on a very short span of time. Our Roman- our romanticism about it isn't about the actual cowboys. It's about the stories that were written about them by people who lived in New York City. You know, so even even for us, we have no concept of what that was really like. You know, uh, and so, but for for Hergé, you know, com- like I say, this for scouts, you know, they weren't they weren't criticizing them. There's no sense of criticism, and and they used the term redskin. Right. It wasn't meant as an insult. It was meant just as a descriptor of these people. You know, it wasn't. So for him to use it here, he's using it in a very naive way. He's not using right. it as a, here's a, a here's, here's a problem, uh, though, in the first time he meets someone who is uh, Native American. Yeah. Where uh, he's he's there, and uh, he's uh, goes up to someone who is Native American who's yeah. sitting there, and says to his dog, uh, looks, just look, Snowy, a real red Indian. Yeah. Well, you just don't do that, period, with anybody. No, but he's holding a camera. I think it is sort of a, a satire on tourism. You think? You yeah, think so? I do. Okay, you can see it as a satire. Uh, it's it's. Just look know. how he's standing with a camera pointed at this guy, and look how and look, and how, look at Snowy's jaws dropped, and look how is. scowly the the uh, the First Nations guy is. I mean, yep, I got you. I got you. It's uh, you can see where I'm coming from uh, on this one, though, right? I mean, it's it's just actually looking is. at that image. He doesn't actually seem to be wearing a headband. That's actually good for uh, good for Erge. He, <laughs> okay, he didn't get he didn't get that one mixed, wrong. All right, uh, Tintin uh, has a feeling he looks a bit out of the place because there's nothing but uh, you know stereotypical cowboys. Mm-hmm. You know, with the kerchiefs, the the chaps, the whole thing, yeah. the uh, spurs, uh, yeah. everything's uh, everything's cowboy. And then you get you do get a little bit of satire there where he goes into the western shop and and uh, puts on the cowboy outfit and is told it's the very latest fashion cartridge belt slung to the right last winter's models all to the left. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, that's a pretty that's good. A good joke. So it's a good, joke. a good joke. Yeah, Come I on. cannot deny that's a that's a, you know not a bad joke. Uh, one of the cowboys turns out to be evil, and uh, we see that Bobby Smiles or Mister Smiles is there. Yeah, uh, once again swearing with the Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tintin is uh, led to uh, meet his his horse. Yeah, we never get to see this horse. I wish we did, but we don't. Good bit of cartooning, though. Like to avoid having to draw a horse, this is a good way to to do it. I'm all on his side here. Right and now, you you have a background as a cartoonist. And yes. you have had to draw horses in the past. Yes, I have. And so you it's know. no fun. I I I totally approve of this uh, using just a black, a black doorway to. Uh, and you know what? It's better because you can yeah, imagine you what's imagine. happening better than than showing it. You know, showing it. You know, in the amount of space he has, which is two panels, uh, it's wouldn't be enough to really give you a sense of the wild ride that that Tintin's getting. It's better to show it with just the stars, so indicate. A good deal of pain, and then have them thrown out through the side of the barn. Yeah, and he's uh, yeah kicked out through, as you say, the side of the barn. Yeah, uh, he does not care for that horse. Uh, gets a gets an easier one, and yeah. this is the first time that we see um, the green green sand of the desert. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that was a coloring mistake when they were doing the original, and it's just it's just stayed on ever since. Well, there's some bits that look like it could be grass. You know, you go, oh, yeah, this could be grass, but then uh, with the cacti, uh, is that what it is? Is the plural of cactus, cacti? Uh, sticking up, it really does look like it was supposed to be sand, and it was not made into sand, and uh, it's all green. So uh, Tintin is, uh, is, is off. He sees the bad guy, gets out his lasso. Yeah. And this is very realistic, this part. This part I completely buy. What's that? Which is like, you know, Tintin doesn't necessarily have an experience using a lasso. Yeah, yeah. Uh, twists it all around himself and the horse, and, and a, a good bit of slapstick, you know, falls off the horse, tied well, up himself. Well, I think that's something that's appealing when you're a kid, when you're reading Tintin, is that he's not perfect, that he makes mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, he's, and a lot of his, a lot of his escapes are just, you know, pure luck. There's no, it's not him, you know, his skill. He doesn't MacGyver it or anything like that. He just... He's lucky. The car breaks down, or they use the wrong gas, or they count decide to count down before shooting him. Just, you know, just lucky things like that. That that's the reason he's still around. Yeah, you know, there is a lot of dumb luck. Nothing to do with him. Just you know, a little bit to do with him. But before you judge that, modern uh, readers, how about that Indiana Jones? That guy, that guy lucks out a lot too. Yeah. Okay. Whoever yeah. you like in the Eddie action movies. And he rode a submarine through the, across the Mediterranean. Right. Which would not. Which is the kind of thing Tintin would do. Should be really cold at night. Sure. So um, we got the bad guy. He is now getting a nice bit of, of a lead. And uh, those uh, First Nations people uh, run into him. And he tricks him. Gives him the old, that guy behind me is a real jerk. He's a yeah. terrible person. Yeah. And they buy it, unfortunately. Um, you know, get suckered in by uh, Mr. Smooth Talk. So, uh, but, the, but they can't uh, declare war on Tintin. It's yeah. weird that you have to declare war on a person. Yeah. Because they don't have the hatchet. They don't have a hatchet. Because they buried the hatchet. Yes. Now, have you ever actually literally he heard of like burying no, the hatchet? No, I haven't. As burying so the obviously, the, I mean, I'm going to assume that Hergé was right here, and that he, this was an actual piece of 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 First Nations uh, lore. This idea that you you uh, make peace by burying your weapon. Sure. Bury the hatchet. Why not? Where where does expression must come, come from? It must yeah. come from somewhere like that. Sure. You know, I don't think they meant it buried in someone's skull. So <laughs> yeah, you know. So uh, you know, it is. I don't know. It is kind. Of, I have I have two minds about reading this part. I Tell mean, me your two minds. Well, 
I mean, yes. I'm going to take a break while you use your two minds because you, you only need two people for this podcast. Go. <laughs> okay. Well, I just my two minds are yes, the way the Indians are drawn here is unfortunate. Having them in their their you know traditional costume as if that's how they dressed all the time when they were walking around does seem is sort of unfair. Like you know having the chief wearing his giant you know ceremonial headdress as if that's the com you know obviously out of the movies. That's not something yep. they would have worn every day. This at is the, the same ho- time it's the Halloween costume version of uh, you know Native Americans. Yes. At the same time, he's making fun of them. In a way that he makes fun of everyone else. And you're right. It's the problem is, is it's a pile on, right? You're piling on people who don't have another representation. There's no positive representation of themselves as smart people who, that they are, you know, that they're humans, that they're intelligent, that they have, you know, that, you know, they're actual people and you can see them being people. You only see them being stereotypes, whooping and hollering, dancing on a bonfire, riding horses to attack soldiers. You know, in this case, riding soldiers, riding horses to attack Tintin, you know, you don't get the sense of them as people. At the same time, then we get this really trenchant comment about how they were treated, mm-hmm. you know, which is really right on and very sympathetic. And so it's this kind of weird. Yeah. Well, dual... here's, here's the problem: is it's it's the same problem with the Congo uh, situation in that they're they are the other. Yeah. You know, and and the other is good when you need a villain and and you need a, a comedy foil. Yeah. Because they don't have feelings like you. They're just they're the other. They're different. Well, so you. Can't... I would argue that every, everyone in this book though is a comedy foil. No, it doesn't I matter am... who they are. But they're Whether not it's the... Al Capone getting a vase in the face. Or... Right. They're not the other though. Like yeah. the police officers that are dumb. They're not the other. They're yeah. just dumb. You know? I know, but when you say the other, you're making it sound as if he's singling out Indians, only making them in the story. No, dumb. but they definitely are. Like, as in, uh, you know, they they have a torture pole where they're going to torture uh, the guy. You know, their 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 silliness is, you know, based on based on. It's not like it's based on their actions. You know, it's based on what they are. Yeah. You know, it's and and that's kind of the root of you know of prejudice is not making fun of someone because of what they do but what they are and i think that's that's the problem with the with the other situation here yeah whereas al capone you're you know you're making fun of him because he's he's a he's al capone you know because of what he does yeah you know yeah whereas oh these they know they don't know better this is what they're doing and again there might be some uh nobility in here they do slip in things that are positive i'm uh true and they do have a good satire later yeah uh, which we'll get to uh but yeah that's again that's the that's the problem you got so uh he trips over uh the hatchet and now he can declare war yes it's a good bit of slapstick. Sure. It's fine. And then there's some really nicely drawn horses in the next uh, next panel. I think they're nicely drawn. Uh, good action horses. And then, um, yeah, we're, we're uh, tying up Tintin to a pole. Yeah, and kind of the horses are uh, pretty um, traditional. I guess what you would find... Uh, natives right or Native Americans writing at that time, these sort of paints, well, they the also, pintos. And they look like, like uh, they look like Scout from uh, The Lone Ranger. There you go. All the h- horses that escaped from the Spaniards. Now, this is, the, this is one of the first times they use this insult, uh, the Native Americans, mm. which is a truly pale face uh, does not have the stomach of a squaw, saying he's brave. Yeah. Now, they use this again later on, the old, you're a coward if you've got the stomach of a squaw. Yeah. One thing you might want to notice, no women in this tribe. Yeah. So maybe yeah. the sexism drove them out, fellas. <laughs> you know, big talk. Big talk there, you know? Yes. Yeah. Mm, maybe watch what you say, too. 
So, uh, so Tintin's actually, you know, pretty, pretty calm with what's going on. Just a lot of, you know, what, what are you talking about, buddy? What's hap- What's going on? What's, uh, what do you mean you're gonna kill me and all this kind of uh, business? Uh, and and then it's time to, uh, you know, let's all torture Tintin before we kill him. Sure, but let's let them practice. This is actually a practice session, not just uh, they get to the players practice their skills upon this pale face. Right. So it's not even gonna be good torturing. It's going to be clumsy, inept torturing by guys who aren't really that good. A lot of hesitating, well, you know, cutting with the knife and, right. you know, whatever else they do. Because this is the kind of thing they do. You know, hey, yeah. fellas, we're going to do that torture thing we do, which is why we've got this pole. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, we understand. And then I like that their torture involves throwing a hatchet at his head. Which, yeah. if, it, if it struck, would be the shortest torture session on, in, in, of all time. You know, really, it is hard to torture someone after you've... you've uh, cut off their head <laughs> so Tintin's way of escaping mm-hmm. is uh, this is actually kind of a clever thing I suppose it's not what you would expect uh, scrapes at the pole yeah uh, the resin and flicks it with his thumb uh, hitting the uh, chief in the face yeah chief thinks it's the kid with the um, slingshot yes by the way why is the kid got well I guess the kid's got a slingshot because he's going to shoot Tintin yeah. For torture purposes. He's going pra- to practice as well. You know what? I felt kind of bad for the kid at first because he's getting slapped in the face by the chief. Yeah. But you know what? He was going to torture Tintin. Yeah. So to heck with him. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm on you've board lost, with this. He's lost all Yeah, sympathy. everyone's going to do a big torture of Tintin. Sure. Unless he's just following orders. Screw them. Yeah. <laughs> Is that an excuse? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know anymore. So Tintin keeps flicking things at people and the chief keeps socking people. <laughs> And pretty soon everyone's fighting The chief everyone. gets socked, and then it turns into a general melee. Really well drawn, though. Boy, yeah. I wish I could draw like that. There's a lot of plop, plop, bonk, and then everyone's unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> Tintin uh, finds his way out. But the actual fight sequence, where they're all fighting together, is totally silent. There's no, I'll get you, hey, look out, or anything like that. It's just completely silent. The sort of And you can tell it's bad because the feathers are flying up into the, the air. The feathers are flying. Okay, so... Maybe t- that's where the expression comes from. Sure, that's exactly where it comes from. Uh, Tintin uh, does escape. He runs. Uh, Mr. Smiles comes out, sees everyone unconscious. Is quite impressed with Tintin for being able to knock out everybody there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Snowy's uh, chasing after him. Oh, but Tintin falls off a cliff. Yeah. Looks like he's dead. Literally the cliffhanger. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. Although you do see a, you do see a question mark, mm. which implies that he's not... He's not dead because he's actually surprised. Well, it could be he's surprised as he's falling. Could be. So, you know, you are surprised when you fall off a cliff. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Smiles looks over the cliff. Yes. Yeah, he's dead. Fair enough. Yep. Moving on. Moving on, indeed. Back to Chicago. Poor Snowy. Oh, wait. No, before he does that, he has to take a shot at Snowy. Now, that's how you know this guy's a villain. There's no reason to, to shoot the dog or mess with the dog. Yeah. The dog can't come back and claim revenge. Uh, and, uh, yep, but, uh, startle Snowy. Snowy now falls off the cliff as well. Uh, lands on the branch that, uh, cartoons always have. Yeah. You know, if you've ever read a Beetle Bailey cartoon and, and Sarge falls off mm. a cliff, he will always yes. grab onto that. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's fine. He's, uh, there with, uh, his friend, uh, Tintin now. <laughs> it's good. Of course, they're stuck on a narrow ledge, except there's a rock that uh, they're able to roll away and mm-hmm. discover a tunnel. And this is where Hergé, in the original version, had some trouble. Because he would be having Tintin saying, well, we're crawling up. And you actually have the drawing of him going down. Oh, okay. And when he says he's going up, he would, you know, or when he's going down, he'd have him going up. So he had some trouble, you know, getting this those sort of things correct That when he first was drawing these. Like, he just wasn't quite familiar enough with... Uh, 
he hadn't listened to well Charlie Chaplin when he was asked about directing. He said he said, Well, this is directing. Making sure that when you leave a room to the left of the screen, that you enter the room from the left of the screen. <laughs> That's directing. So there you go. He hadn't quite learned that out. He hadn't figured that one out yet. So, so uh, he, uh, he also it looks like this is uh, you know some some easy drawings for Hergé. He gets to relax a little bit because it's the old uh, glowing eyes in the blackness. Yeah. You know. Uh, and finally, uh, Tintin gig. finds his way out uh, with a rock that Mister Smiles was sitting on, and Mister Smiles, seeing Tintin uh, climbing out from the hole, just assumes the obvious. He's a ghost. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you know how ghosts climb out of holes. And push rocks over with their... Yeah. And complain about how heavy they are. Yeah, that's it. It'd be... Uh, it's not the first time Tintin has survived something by pretending to be a ghost, but he put much less effort into it than he did last time where he had to make uh, elaborate sheets mm-hmm. and cut out uh, tiny holes for each of Snowy's ears and eyes and uh, paws. I just want to say one more thing, uh, or one thing about the drawing, which is that... Uh, Tintin's wearing a plaid shirt in this, is now that he's dressed like a cowboy, and... What, what you notice is Hergé, his influence of George McManus, who did Bringing Up Father. In Bringing Up Father, George McManus always did a flat pattern. He never like would round, yes. round it out around the character. So it was just flat, as if it was just, you know, just sort of placed over top of the drawing. And so Hergé, he he took that style of, for for himself. And he so whenever you see like patterns on characters, they're they're very very rarely wrapped around the character naturally as if they're part of their clothing, but just sort of stenciled on to the drawing. And this, it's very interesting, but uh, it works. So Mr. Smiles uh, gathers the uh, chief and his tribe and uh, says, let's go get him. Uh, and uh, at this point, it almost becomes like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Tintin's just diving into the hole. They're yeah. going in after him. Yeah. They're doing everything but throwing in dynamite. And yes. then having it pop back out again. So, you know, uh, they decide the, the best way is uh, since Tintin's down there and just seems to be beating them up when they go down there, uh, or they're beating each other up, uh, we're just going to put a big rock over the hole. Yeah. That solves our problem. Mm-hmm. And have a guy sitting on top of it with a gun. That actually seems like a good plan. Yes. Yeah, looks like uh, that's going to beat it's him. It's foolproof, except... I do like the fact that one of my favorite d- devices in movies or, or in literature is that when the plan doesn't work. So in this case, he decides he's going to empty all the powder out of his the cartridges he, cartridges he has from, mm-hmm. his, from his gun and use those to blow up this rock. Well, of course, there's just not enough powder there, so it just fizzles out as a plan entirely. So then he decides he's going to dig. And this is where we come to, I think, a very witty section of the book, which is mm-hmm. he discovers oil while he's digging. The oil is such a gusher, it, it lifts a rock up with the Indian sitting on it or the Native American sitting on it, throws him wherever, and then... Also blast Tintin and Snowy and, up. Yep, Tintin and Snowy come out of it. They're covered in uh, oil. And then uh, out of nowhere, this man runs into this, <laughs> the scene with a contract. A bunch of cars are showing up out of nowhere. He's, you know, he wants Tintin to sign a, con- yeah, sign a contract. He gets $5,000. And uh, Tintin is amazed because it's less than 10 minutes ago this oil has appeared. And he goes, know-how, American, unerring American know-how is how it's described. Another character shows up, wants to pay $10,000. Another one was 50. offering twenty-five, fifty grand, a hundred grand. And then Tintin points out that this isn't his, his land. It actually belongs to the Blackfoot tribe. And these guys are just like disgusted, snatch back their contracts, go up to the, at least like the, here, here, Hiawatha, $25 in half an hour to pack your bags and quit the territory. Next thing you know, the National Guard are there marching out, out of the land. Two hours later, construction's going on. 
Three hours later, we see a doorman standing in a hotel way. And then Actually, next morning, the doorman is standing in front of a bank. Oh, he's in front of a bank. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, doorman in front yeah. of a bank. Sorry. And then uh, the next day, it's a full city, and everyone's wondered why Tintin is just like a cowboy. Yep. Amazing. You're kicked se- out. Get out. Get a, out of here. There go the... A great sequence of, of change. just want to point out, in the original version of this, uh, the guy standing in the doorway of the bank was uh, black. Okay. And for some reason, in 1973, Tintin was made, not, sorry, Hergé was made to take, to remove all the black people from the, from the story. Mm-hmm. So most of them are gone. There's one person who looks kind of black in the uh, gang at the beginning, the El Capone gang. But other than that, I think if you look, we look through this, we'll find no blacks. Because mm-hmm. he was told to have no blacks in it. Okay. Now the person who was drawn before. By the American, drawn? by the American publishers. Understood. Was he stereotypically uh, black? Was it, yeah. uh, Kind of yeah. Well, yeah. there would be there would be why. That's not why they wanted it though. It's because the reason they wanted it was because they didn't want. Uh, well, I won't. I can't quite remember why. I'll look and look it up and I'll tell you. But okay. Uh, so yeah, it was good satire. They're offering Tintin a hundred thousand dollars for this, but once it's uh, the uh, Native Americans land, here's twenty five bucks and yeah. get the hell out. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's yep. Yeah, there's your there's some satire for you, and definitely it's not uh, the bad guys. There are not the Native Americans. Uh, so Tintin now is uh, getting on the train like a couple of hobos, says Snowy. Like a couple of hobos. There he goes. Uh, he, sp- he spots uh, Mr. Smiles there, who once again swears with his Alcatraz. I've been spotted. <laughs> yes. Uh, hops on. Uh, he doesn't hop on the train. He steals a train. Yes, he steals a train. Yeah. Good for him. It's a nice uh, tribute to the general, the Buster Keaton film. And, yeah, I mean, Tintin knows how to hotwire a train, apparently. Whatever you have to do. Put the coal in, do the whole thing. Yeah. You know, apparently they're ready to go, and you can just uh, you can just steal one. So uh, Tintin's trying to get onto the, uh, the, the train with the bad guy, uh, but the uh, station, you know, does a little switch, and he ends up on the wrong one, and, uh-oh, here comes, uh, here comes it looks like a farmer with his whip, his pipe, He's crossing the train, and he ends up on the train. It's a good bit of shtick. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Then, um, then oh, problem number two. There's a giant boulder on the track that they're trying to uh, blow up. Yeah. So, yeah, just, here's the thing I was trying to find. So, in 1973, the publishers made Hergé remove African-American characters from the book and redraw them as Caucasians or Hispanics because they did not want to encourage racial integration among children. They also wanted him to get rid of the the scene of the uh, of the land the land grab. They felt that was uh, was not good. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, to Alcatraz with them then. <laughs> yes, jerks. <laughs> hey, I uh, guess uh, guess what? History is looking back on you guys and your uh, jerks for that. I just oh. want to. Okay, so let's, I know you mentioned the guy riding across the track. I just want to say how much that looks like a, a 1950s UPC. Was it UPC? Was it the name of that? No. What was the name of that company that did, like, uh, Gerald McBoing Boing and stuff like that? Oh, yes. I has, know what you're talking about. It has a real look to it of that of that style of cartoon, I think, that that drawing of the guy crossing the railroad track on his on his wagon. Yeah, and I like that the... I was like a horse with a hat. Yeah. And uh, I like that you don't see the horse's reaction, but uh, the horse is startled by what has occurred. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So sure uh, so he's now riding the train with Tintin. Yep. Uh, the two guys trying to blow up a uh, giant boulder. As Tintin comes uh, towards it, yeah. and uh, yep. So what occurs then? Uh, so the, yes. So then we find the uh, well. Once again, Tintin escapes just by pure luck because two construction workers are uh, dynamiting this boulder. They blow it up just as the train approaches. This is not a very good drawing of the train passing here. I think if Erge was, here's the thing. Okay, 
I just I don't want to be critical of Verge. I don't want to be critical of Verge. But if you listen, you can't praise if you can't be critical. If you're not. Okay, so if you're drawing something that's passing something, mm-hmm. so we have the Brock blow up and the train passes by and, Air, and Tintin's safe. So what it should have had was the back of the train passing over the spot and a swirl of smoke left over from the dynamite. It shouldn't show the train approaching the smoking spot where the, the, the boulder once was. I do not disagree. It just doesn't work. It's too stationary and it doesn't look like the train is moving at all. And one thing that we saw, like in in the so in the Tintin land of the Soviets, was how much movement he was able to give the trains, like tons of speed lines and stuff like that, right? And in here, it's it's very stationary. The train approaching it is quite static, and then in this one is absolutely static. It just doesn't doesn't work for me. It's unfortunate. But what I like is the next sequence. We do see some speed lines. Uh, Tintin saying to Snowy, "This was our lucky day." And then the construction workers realized they left their their cart with all the dynamite on the track, <laughs> and so. The same effect happens whether we hit the boulder or not. The train is absolutely demolished. And it's a beautiful drawing of the demolished train. Oh, yeah. Very great. And then and, and uh, they're all like, it's grisly. It's yeah. going to be terrible. They're yeah. all ter- scared of what they're about to see. Yeah, yeah. Look up in the tree and uh, Tintin's fine. Yeah. And so is the farmer. Yeah. He's just missing a boot. <laughs> and his clothes are tattered. But, but Tintin's aren't. Now, though, the first time we ever saw Tintin, really, he was being blown up in a train. So we know... That this guy can survive a train explosion. He can survive a if train there's explosion. one thing he can survive, it's a train explosion. You feel like in this book, though, that these sort of things have more risk for him than they did in the Soviets? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. He was much more of a cartoony character then yeah. than he is yeah. here. He was just lucky. He was in, again, the eye is a storm here. He's yeah. fine. Yeah. And Snowy's all right as well. Yes. Good for them both. Underneath a coal scuttle, but they're able to rescue him. Yeah, but now it's time mm-hmm. to go for a walk in the desert. Once again, the green, green desert. Yes. So, uh... You know, it doesn't look as hot as I think I they was, want it to here. Yeah, I was curious about this, so I looked it up in the French version. Mm-hmm. And it says desert in there as well. So I really, I just wonder if it was a coloring mistake, some sort of oversight, or or if Hergé just liked the way it looked on the page and didn't want to be totally accurate, just thought in terms of how the color worked, that he liked it better that way than having yellow. Right. You know? And now here comes a side plot uh, mm. where uh, there is a uh, police officers who are chasing a thief. Yeah. Uh, they can tell uh, because of the way uh, his boots are. Yeah. Uh, the the thief looks down. This is where I actually realized it was desert because I thought it was grass. Yeah. And then uh, no, so no, he's leaving prints in the sand. Yeah. Uh, he realizes, oh no, this is uh, going to get me caught, and uh, sees a sleeping Tintin. Luckily, Tintin doesn't awake uh, wake up because he says he would shoot Tintin if he woke up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, changes boots with him. Well, now Tintin's in trouble with the law. Yeah. What's interesting about the law here is they look like uh, Mounties. They only, do. Only they're wearing blue jackets rather than the red serge that we'd. Or yeah, do you think that's a coloring issue or? No, because there were no there were no Mounties in right. America, so. Okay. So there are maybe Rangers, some sort of a. Maybe. I'm not really too sure what he's where he's drawing it from. So, uh, but they are ambushed then by a lynch mob. Yes. Who grabs to? Uh, now this guy's a bank robber, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty harsh for. Uh, like I could see, uh, you know. Like a murderer, no, no. whatnot, but uh, that was uh, that was lynch worthy, I guess. Yeah, they had the they have their ropes ready, and uh, especially harsh, they're gonna hang Snowy. Yeah, a dog is not. I don't think you count a dog as an accomplice. No, um, my wife Pia read this before I did, and uh, brought that up to me. It's just like you know, the scene where they're hanging the dog. Yeah, it's like oh, that's that's a little that's a little harsh. Uh, and their way of doing it is so is so uh, strangely, uh, I don't know, primitive. Is that well, the word they, for they it? Throw, Having they, one guy lifting one guy two, lift, yeah. Yeah. two of them, lifting a dog and a, and a human, 
to and then the rape the rope breaks. Yeah, well, by the way, he's he's having a good time while he's doing it too. He's having a big smile on his face it, while he's hanging hanging these guys. It's sort of a smile. Yeah, and and yes, the rope breaks, meaning either he's never done this before, yeah, or they've done this so often the ropes have worn out. Yes, and not just one rope breaks though; the dog's rope breaks as well. Mm-hmm. Like you can see the one with the guy, possibly, but how weak is the rope with the dog? Because yeah. you're. Probably, you weren't thinking of hanging a, another dog that day. This was man hanging rope. So there's there's yeah. problems here, and there everyone's was... having a good laugh at the uh, hangman. Expense of him, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so further to the satire of of the state. So we now we get to a satire of uh, drinking in the United States at this time, which was during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. So we we come to a sheriff sitting in his his uh, sheriff's office. Sheriffs do have office offices, unlike police. Sure. And uh, he's having some whiskey, and quite a bit of it, judging by his color of his nose, and then uh, and also how much he finishes off with the bottle. And then it's good he's completely hammered as he leaves and passes a sign uh, proclaiming the Volstead Act, which was the name of the, the act that, pro- that uh, brought in prohibition. Now, he knows that Tintin is innocent. Yes. This is the... This is the uh, uh, this is the uh, ticking clock moment of like he's got to get to Tintin to tell them yeah. uh, that he's innocent. Yeah. But he prefers uh, the uh, the alcohol. <laughs> yes. And we're seeing time passing by the bottle getting uh, down. Yeah, down. progressively lower. And then uh, the guy's yeah. been to the rope store, gotten some more rope, hanging rope. <laughs> yes, that's right. And it's uh, try number he said, two. He said, don't give me any more of that cheap sizel. I want some real hemp. <laughs> And again, it's pulling him up. Again, it, it's so gruesome seeing Snowy uh, being hanged Oops. here. Yes, you know, just it's just so incredibly <laughs> cruel. And uh, and 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 he gets kicked by Tintin in the face. Yes, I don't know if Tintin intended to do this or not. No, I think it's just I think he's just in. Uh, you know, he's just moving around on on the rope. Yeah, and then the lynch mob just starts fighting amongst themselves. Yeah, kind of. It's basically a re- exact repeat of of the scene with the the. With the the First Nations, absolutely, yeah. They get into a same thing. They get into a tussle, and then they all have a big fight. So, uh, he is drawing parallels between yeah. the two of them. We'll give you, we'll give you evens, evens on that. Okay. So uh, Tintin's uh, running away with Snowy. Uh, both of them seem okay with having been almost hanged twice. Yes. By the neck. <laughs> uh, they've. Uh, he hides in the tree. Uh, jumps down on a cowboy. Knocks him out and gets his horse. Good for him. Off they go. And then, but then uh, they're taking a little bit of a nap here, and uh, now I like this because you got like every animal in the world running by Tintin. Yes, yeah. You got a puma. You got a stag. One thing. You, you got the... a turtle. A turtle that's just hightailing it. Yeah. At a at a pretty good speed. Right, right out of the cartoons. Yeah. In the original version, the rabbit was riding on the back of the turtle. Why did they get rid of that? I don't know why I got rid. of it. I think he just didn't think it was realistic enough. Too silly. Oh, it's realistic to have the running snake just like uh, <laughs> just going. And he's then... not running. He's isn't he? No. What's he doing? He's slithering. He's like in a. He's slithering up he's, and down. He's s. Well, he's uh, not on the ground slithering. He's slithering up and down in a way the snake never would. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. It is not. It's not very hard to say because <laughs> you never see that. Uh, no, no. The, I just mean the way it's drawn. It's hard to say if he's not on the ground or if is this the way the perspective is. It's hard to. Know. And then we learn that there's a fire. You see a squirrel running by. You mm-hmm. see some uh, some uh, swans. Yeah, uh, and uh, I like the bear a lot. Yeah, like that's a great looking bear. Yeah, that's uh, running alongside him. But then I like the re- the the reality of a brush fire, which how fast it is. I mean, you just could not outrun a brush fire. And once again, Tintin is super lucky and is, finds a body of water he can jump into. 
And uh, yeah. Yeah, but good, uh, good cliffhanger and good animal drawings. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tintin's yeah. now uh, at uh, spot some railroad tracks. Uh, yes. Starts walking along the tracks, uh, stand by me style. <laughs> finds a finds a, tr- a track trap for a train. Some sort of someone's going to try and destroy a train. Mm-hmm. Staring at it, and is captured by Bobby Smiles. <laughs> Darn you, Bobby Smiles! <laughs> Snowy's not having any of this. Attacks Bobby and uh, gets uh, gets kicked by him. Well, yeah. I've had enough of this. Now, Bobby's uh, crossed the line, as far as I'm concerned. And what he did I, not kick Snowy. And what I like about the criticism that's coming up here. Okay, so, Tint, yeah, he kicked Snowy, which is a thing that's bad. So it's we, so we bad that, that Tintin yells monster yeah. at him. And then, so then he's tied to the train track. He's left for dead. The train's coming. It's coming along. It's chuff, chuff, chuffing towards him. Very nice use of the... Uh, Erge did similar did this in uh, in Land of the Soviets, having the train coming towards him. The chuff, 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 getting bigger and bigger as the train comes toward him, and then someone pulls the alarm on the train. The train screeches to a halt. Everyone w- wondering what's going on, and then there's some <laughs> old lady in the train who's upset that she saw a puma attacking a deer. That she's a member of the American Association of Animal Admirers. So some sort of strange. Parody of Americans as being excessive, yeah. as being excessive animal lovers, sensitive towards the animals, uh, but mirrored on the page by the fact that a guy who kicks a dog is a monster. Hmm. Very odd. So I don't quite know. Well, also we just saw a cartoon puma earlier. Yeah, that was like hightailing it uh, out of there. Yeah, he may have been just jumping over the deer to get away from the, or he may have taken advantage of it to attack. Yeah, the deer. this is later uh, after the fire. But yes, it was just again a lucky break for Tintin. Yeah, because uh, uh, they they see him, uh, untie him. And uh, there you go. Gives a handshake to everybody and uh, thanks. Yeah. And then I enjoy uh, Bobby's smile. He's shaking reaction. the wrong person's hand, by the way. He's shaking the hand of the uh, engineer, I suppose. Who discovered him, heard him yelling for help and came around to the front of the train. Right, whereas him. he should be shaking the lady's hand, because without her... Her? Yes. That animal lover? <laughs> Why shake her hand? We're the no- nut. I think we're far from the days when uh, when uh, Tintin was blowing up rhinos with dynamite by drilling holes. Yeah, in we're them. far from it. One book. <laughs> it feels like we're far it from does, it, doesn't, doesn't it? it? It's a real leap. This book in terms yeah, of content. That's and, a very if if, if this character you feel here like it's, decided yeah. to blow up some rhinos with dynamite. Yeah. you would be what? Yeah. What's going on? Like you do feel like this book is the first kind of true Tintin book. Hey, that, that his character is kind of becoming fully formed. Right. You know? So uh, now the next morning, uh, Mr. Smiles is reading the newspaper. Yes. And uh, miraculous escape of this uh, kid. Yeah, you think he'd be used to it by now. Mm-hmm. You think he'd be used to it by now because then, you know, he Tintin sees this out, this lookout, sees on some, you know, some sort of. He's built a cabin at the top of a mountain, which is very convenient to do, of course, to get all your materials up there. He's built this cabin that includes glass windows on top of a mountain. <laughs> he's using his binoculars, sees. Uh, Tintin walking through the green desert and then now Tintin's climbing up the hill he doesn't know that Bobby Smiles is there but he might be he thinks so he starts climbing up the rocks but Bobby Smiles of course you know trapdoors in uh, trapdoors in Chicago so naturally he has this assortment of dynamite traps on this mountain blows up a giant rock that's it Tintin's done he's having a celebratory drink (laughs) and then there's Tintin saying the doorway why is he surprised and he's very smug about it. Like, Tintin is standing there very smug with his arms folded. Yeah. Giving him a little, yeah. hey, how you doing? <laughs> Guess who you didn't kill again, you jerk. What's weird about this is, this will once again be kind of critical about the drawing, is there's a wonderful drawing of Tintin in the doorway with Bobby Smiles back to us. And he's reaching behind himself, grabbing the bottle. 
Very well done. The next one is like the clumsiest framing in the world. This shot of him lifting the, the bottle over his head, lunging towards, you can't see Tintin, so you don't know what's happening. And it's just very kind of awkwardly done. It's not very nice at all. Like if you're doing that, you've already got a back shot to, of him towards Tintin. Carry that on in the next scene, in the next frame. It, should it is be, a beautiful shot, that first one. Yeah, and so it should be a, a, it should be a continuation of that, a slight pullback of him from the back lunging towards Tintin. Yeah. And then we can come to the shot of Tintin shooting the bottle out of his hand. But yeah, it's very strange that, uh, you know, I just feel like at this point, and Hergé didn't did do some restaging, but he didn't do a lot, mm -hmm. you know, because he wanted to kind of keep continuity of, of the style. Like, that's one thing that Casterman worried about when he started redrawing the, the, the books was, well, how is this going to match the other books? You know, if you start changing, like, how you're drawing, right. how is your 1950s style going to match your 1940s style or your 1930s style? You know, so they were very concerned about that. And so he tried to minimize the amount of redrawing that he did. So, you know, you still kind of see some of the clumsiness of his of his uh, staging and stuff like that, even at this point, you know. Like, later on, the, later on, the books are impeccable how, how things are staged. Well, I say that. I might have some criticism. I don't know. Yeah. I always read them for pleasure. I've never read them with a critical eye before, so... I may, I may uh, make, make a liar of myself. I just you never know. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see uh, smiles uh, does not beat uh, Tintin with a bottle. Yeah, uh, he the bottle is shot. He's covered in alcohol yeah. and uh, tied up. And this seems to be the end of Mister Smiles. That's right. You know, we've had enough of this. Sure. Like, there's only so many times this guy can. Because you know what? The last time we saw him, he tried to kick. Uh, he kicked uh, Snowy. Yeah. What a he, monster. You're done. And and I like how he delivers them to the police, which is in a box. In a box. Uh, covered with, like, it looks like when you have an Easter basket, and yeah, you fill it yeah. with that straw. It's full of full of green grass. It's yeah. weird. It's, if, it's as if he knew he was going to be on a long, like, three-day journey and sent him some food, thinking maybe he ate grass. <laughs> yes. He is, Do Americans eat grass? We cannot eat grass. We are not ruminants, so we mm. cannot digest it. It's a... Uh, yeah, fair hard. enough. So this is another uh, one of those situations where all the newspapers approach him, uh, wanting to hire him. Yeah, paying him yeah. again five thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. We're going through this again. Yeah, you know, it's almost yeah. like he's got an oil well or something. Uh, but he he's not interested. He just uh, says no, no dice. But it's not just that. It's uh, he booked for Pantechnicon Radio, two thousand dollars a week. Uh, Paranoid Productions yeah. want to make a movie Join starring him. Join the brothers of Neo-Judeo-Budo-Islamo-Americanism. Yeah, you can that's do that. a good one. But that's, you get, that's not it. But you get profit from this religion. It's not just so the religion is a business. It's yeah. not just a religion. It's a business. And also, don't forget the ten thousand dollars for Snowy's picture on our doggy dinners. I win the tricks with Bonzo Bix, says Super Sleuth Snowy. <laughs> this stuff like that. It's just so. This like a really good encapsulation of that kind of yeah. crazy. You know, publicity mad. You know, now, quick, aspect of yeah, of this, land of, of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Now, was at this time was Snowy on any um, products? I, I doubt that very much. I doubt that very okay. much. So, uh, so Tintin's not interested in this. Doesn't need that kind of money. I'm not interested. Yeah. Walks away. Maybe yeah. you should have been interested have, <laughs> because yeah. we because uh, there's a hostage uh, note there for uh, fifty thousand dollars if you want to see your dog alive again. Yeah. Oh. Outrageous. But I also like the otherwise dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he doesn't think of turning over the yeah. page, maybe. That's right. Yeah. Is there more? So then he, what I like is that he phones the hotel reception to tell him that his dog's been kidnapped. Maybe thinking it's a service the hotel provides. Right. 
Now, wait a second. The last time he called reception, yeah. he got them to call the police. Mm. The fake police showed up, who yeah. were gangsters, yeah. and took him to be killed. So, he's ca- one, he's staying in the same hotel, and yeah. two, he's trusting reception again, because uh, this concierge ain't no good. Don't give a tip to the concierge <laughs> who tried to get you murdered. But now we have one of the... This is a great character shows up now. I just love this guy. Yeah, but by the way, before the character shows oh. up, let's check out this hotel room he's in. With absolutely nothing in it. Okay, moving on. <laughs> well, it has a phone stand. It does have a phone stand. A chair. And then absolutely nothing else in it. I guess when you've had your last chair shot up with a machine gun, because yeah. you put a dummy in it, yeah. maybe they don't give you a new chair. That's right. They just, that's enough for right. no more chairs for but, you. But uh, I agree with you. The next character is my favorite character in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here we just go. Just so brilliant. Just a great... Because it's not even a parody of American... You know, it's not even a parody of American... Uh, detectives or anything. It's just kind of a weird parody of like Sherlock Holmes kind of style mm. things where it's just weird because, you know, I'll just read the, I'll read the, pro- what Do he it. says because, uh, so the, this guy enters in, he's, of course, your kind of typical uh, overweight, you know, with a bowler hat, uh, with his, 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 uh, I guess his thumbs tucked underneath. Prideful, his, sticking yeah, his chest out. Yes, he's very, that's right. And then he's, uh, you know, someone took your dog, eh? And so, you know, first thing, this is Tintin. Why is he getting help from someone else? He right. can do it himself. We've because seen this throughout the book. This but, is, but this is Mike McAdam, hotel but is, detective. But this is, yeah. He goes, mind if I begin detecting? Right, here's the picture. Your dog's asleep. Someone comes in, chloroforms the pooch, puts him in a sack. The kidnapper is 33 years old and six, 33 years and six weeks old, speaks English with an es- Eskimo accent, smokes paper dollar cigarettes, wears an undershirt, and has matching garters, easily identified by a tattoo mark on his left shoulder blade. The kidnapper has a slight limp with the right foot, cut himself trimming a corn the day before yesterday, and one more detail, snores in his sleep. When I tell you, sir, his grandfather was scalped by the Sioux 40 years ago, and he has a profound dislike for bird's nest soup, you know everything. I spotted, you know everything I spotted from a quick look around. Brilliant. Yep. I'll be back within the hour with your dog, of course. <laughs> That's right. and, and the Tintin's very impressed. Yeah. He comes back, wrong dog. <laughs> And, and the woman whose clobber. dog it is clobbers him <laughs> with a with an umbrella. Nice bit, you of, idiot. Nice bit of slapstick. That's Just great. To, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It. But he is not at all uh, put off by no, this. No, he is you not. You know, the, uh, Tintin says the good lady certainly didn't spare the rod. The good lady. What's this about a good lady? The attacker, sir, hit me over the head with a, a Japanese club. It was a man, twenty-two years old, with two back teeth missing. Wears rubber-soled shoes and is a regular reader of the Saturday Evening Post. You're sure? <laughs> sure, I'm sure. This time you won't escape me. You'll have your dog back within an hour. Then <laughs> comes back with every dog in the world. <laughs> that is not snowy. And this guy, it just stays as smug as he'll ever... Oh, I love this guy. Like, I don't know if he ever comes back in any future issues. I don't... I uh, know he doesn't. It's oh, too bad. Well, it's this is bad. a... This is a this is a mistake. I would read a spin-off book with this guy <laughs> in a heartbeat. It's like, a guy with all the ego of Sherlock Holmes, but he's an idiot. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, so so there we go. Uh, it's Tintin decides he's going to just take care of this himself. Yes. Okay. So he disguises himself as a newspaper boy. Mm-hmm. Starts walking up and down, selling the Chicago Tribune. Wasn't that uh, Roger Ebert's paper? Yes, it was. I believe so. Siskel's was the Sun Times. Sun Times. Yep. The New York Herald, the Daily News. He's got a little taste of Sneaky Dragon there, everybody. Aha, the white <laughs> handkerchief in the window. He's going to pay up. I just, I like how he's, you know, so he's spying down. He sets a, a white handkerchief in the window 
and then patrols have been on the sidewalk waiting for the thief to show or the kidnapper to show up. Okay, that's that's fairly. That's clever. a smart thing. But I love that the guy goes into the Moonshine Club, <laughs> the speakeasy with a sign on the on the you know bootleggers to the White House. It proudly ex- claims. So it's, well, this city is corrupt. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say it is so corrupt. It's corrupted a city hundreds of miles away. Mm-hmm. So yes, uh, Tintin uh, goes follows this guy, and here's another great sequence: uh, is the he hears a woo a woo a. Which well, sounds snowy. exactly it's snowy. Yeah, you see that. You go, it's snowy. He jumps up, well, dumps his papers. It seems goes racing up the stairs, runs into this room and finds a woman holding a crying baby. Ugh. In the original uh, book, uh, she was black and the baby was black. Oh, well. okay, all right. It's, it's very oddly drawn that, like the yeah, the, the baby's head is strange. It's just strange. So, uh, but a good gag. So uh, then he, Tintin goes uh, to keep an eye out. Uh, you know, yeah. He sees a, a package the guy is holding. Thinks it's snowy. Knows it's snowy. Sees yeah. him punching it. Yeah. Oh, this move. This that's not rubbing Tintin the right way. <laughs> Dashes around the block to wait for him. Holds a club and uh, hits a police officer. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? The cops in this town. I'm fine with that. They should be. They should know what's coming. But, but I like that. Rather than explain what happened, he runs away mm-hmm. and then runs past an armorer. Which is a strange shop you'd find in any city. Chicago. Anywhere. Yeah. I don't... And the shop is called the Sword of Damocles. It has a sword hanging from the sign. The policeman hit... I guess... I don't know if he intended to, but he he hits the chain, breaks it, you know, causes it to break, causing the sword to fall onto... uh, onto Tintin. And here's a nice little... Which which is what the Sword of Damocles threatened to do. Yeah. There you go. There you are. But there's a nice little... I like in the next sequence, there's a, a balloon. It just has a picture of... Of Snowy in it, as as uh, Tintin is thinking of Snowy. Very well, nice he's in him. jail. Yes, yeah. while well, he waits in jail. With a, looks like a hobo, a, a thug, and a rich guy yeah. who must have been drinking. Yes. So, uh, that's... He's sleeping one off, it looks yeah. like. Yeah. You know what? It's it's not a, it's not the worst uh, jail cell in the world. He's either a drunk or a narcoleptic. We don't know. Yeah, but uh, wait, wait. Uh, Tintin's being released. Uh, you, babyface, come with me. Uh, and uh, the 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 chief there asks for his name and occupation. He says Tintin reporter. And oh boy, oh everyone smartens yeah, up then. His face turns beet red. Yeah, yeah. So well, we're very very sorry. Uh, please let you go. Here you go. I'm ter- terribly sorry to Mr. Tintin. Off you go. Uh, gets a little help from the police, uh, asking if you've seen a man in a cloth cap with a large pa- parcel. Yep, there he goes. And uh, and and off off Tintin goes. It's uh, it's weird. Then he passes by what look an ad for Knight brand cans. Yeah, and it's a statue of a knight. Yeah, it's weird. And then, like you know how they have statues ads so much. You know you got a billboard. We, yeah, we see those all the time. Yeah, you know you see a big poster, and then of course you got the statue ads as we see all the time. Okay, well here's how I would explain it. Please do. Is that Hergé was thinking of what what that would be in Europe. And what it becomes in America. So in Europe, that would be a tribute to some heroic knight who did some ah. something, some chivalric, chivalric deed. Yeah. You know, and now we have it just reduced to, to this sort of low thing. It's advertising some sort right. of Right. So it's Mount Rushmore, but it's advertising zit cream. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah. a nice clear face. What's interesting on the next page is there's a or statue. Or three, uh, three out of four men prefer shaving or some such. Shave. Prefer shave. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, the next one, there's a kind of a weird, it looks like someone's exclaiming or something but it says coca-cola on the uh, yeah it looks on like the there's print. a screaming statue yeah. of a man and it says coca-cola underneath it but the other weird thing what is what is that about not just that why are there discarded cars all over the place 
Is that a criticism of America of the time? Was yeah. that they just discarded their cars on the side of the road? It, that, I think that is. I think yeah. that the cars are so they're just disposable. It's so wasteful. Yeah. And then there's a sign in the back for Wrigley. So, you know, it's an ad for gum as well. Yeah, the, the billboards, of course. That yeah. would have, you wouldn't have seen those in Europe of, of that time. I am really curious what but, the Coca-Cola one is. That one, that's the strangest thing to me in the whole, in the whole book. It's an, it looks like an angry guy yeah. and then a, just a statue with Coca-Cola written underneath. Yeah, yeah. Like he's just had enough Coca-Cola and he's freaking out. <laughs> so uh, he, now we got the evil, uh, evil folks. And, uh, you know, they're uh, kidnappers. They're part of Kidnap Inc., Yes. They've incorporated. Get it? To get, well, because you got to get the tax breaks. Yeah, of course. If you don't incorporate. But kidnapping. Kidnapping. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. It's just okay. like if you're kidnapping yeah. and you're not you're not writing off, say, your ether and your mileage and your gas, <laughs> well, then you're just. I think you mean chloroform. Well, you're just throwing. You know what? Ether will work too. Okay. Sorry. If, if you had a guy. Yeah, all right. Listen. <laughs> I kidnapped Curious George a while back and I used ether and it worked fine. Okay. All right. Sorry. So, anyway. Uh, so they're having a little meeting. Uh, I guess a shareholders meeting <laughs> at Kidnap Inc. Yeah, and then off they go. Uh, the uh, big boss. But they, fought, they use Robert's rules of orders, order yeah. to you know make sure that all. Well, they kidnapped you know, Robert. Have to second. They uh, they got his rules him. from him. That's right. I'll second that motion. You know. And uh, now you see motion a, carried. You see a, a, a suit of armor now. If you see a suit of armor in anything, well, from the sort of Damocles armor, obviously. Right. You know, like I has to sell somewhere. So did he? Did Tintin just bring the armor with him? Like he passed. No, no, there's a few pieces. There's a few suits of armor, and there's like a, there's like a crest with. Oh, I with see what lances. you're saying. So they all just bought it in advance, which is how that sort of Damocles place stays in business. Okay, yeah, fair yeah. enough. But anytime you see a suit of armor in anything, like an old movie or a comic, someone's yeah. in it. Yeah. You know what? If I was there's back no other then, reason to show it. Always, or draw it. always lift up the the <laughs> flap and check because there's a there's a dude in there. Yeah. Hundred percent. Is that of the a good time. reason to lift up the hatch? It sounds like a bad idea. The only thing that might also be in there is a skeleton. Uh, if it's a scary movie, yeah, that's the only yeah. other thing. So, um, so Tintin's there and uh, just starts knocking people out. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> with with a with you know the 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 hilt of a store of a sword, he could be killing him. He's not though. No, no, Tintin's He's just Tintin. knocking him out. So he goes down to the dungeon, uh, and, it, and a nice thing about this dungeon is it's clearly labeled. Yeah. So there's a senator that's there that was kid. They also put like almost a best before freshness date. Yeah. You know, it's a kidnap June uh, 20th, uh, ransom $100,000. Well, you need to, you know, cir- you need to circulate your, your uh, inventory. You can't just leave it in one place and, mm-hmm. and have it get stale. So. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a general there. And then there's Snowy the dog, kidnapped June 25th. Yeah. Uh, ransom $50,000. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he again, he is going, whoa, whoa. So Tintin was correct. This is the kind of sound his dog makes. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he, he goes to get the keys, gets him. Oh, it's a tearful reunion between uh, Tintin and Snowy. Yeah. I also love the Kidnap Incorporated. Uh, here's, here's a little problem I have. Kidnap Incorporated, yeah. hyphenated when you first say it. Kidnap Incorporated on the sign with rules for guests, not hyphenated. Oh. Little detail. Yeah. You know, maybe I know uh, Hergé did not edit this, did not edit the English translation. Yeah, that's right. Whoever did, heads up, Mr. Hyphen. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very funny having the rules for guests. This is a this is a funny bit. The kidnapping place that's like incorporated and well organized yeah. and uh, well labeled yeah. and all this kind of yeah. thing. It's good. It's good shtick. No, I like fine. it. I dig it. Yeah. 
Uh, so it looks like Tintin's now going to have to fight everybody. Maybe he should have killed them. Like, I know he wouldn't have, but maybe he should tie a knot better. Or... Your, or Tintin does not kill people in cold blood. We've already established that. He's not in cold blood. Listen, it's a very, it's in, very different in than... In modern times, yes. it's okay to kill people. Mm-hmm. In those days, it wasn't okay. I know, but you are, you are using the term cold blood incorrectly. Um, so uh, Tintin knows there's a dozen of them. He hears their footsteps. And uh, he uh, changes, it looks like he changes the sign between the keep and the dungeons. Yes. Tricking them. Dungeons uh, apparently uh, going up. Is that how it goes? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, they all go in, he locks it behind them, boom. Good job. Good job, Tintin. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? The keep should be the one that goes up. Yeah. And he switches them. And yet they still go up. So they should be going, yeah, yeah. Because the dungeon, they should be going down. The stairs should be going down. It's an upstairs dungeon. You know uh, what? These guys are so rich. Yeah. They, they have an upstairs dungeon. <laughs> That's it. Upstairs, downstairs dungeons. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he's, he's got them all there. And uh, what I like is we're seeing our third trap door of this mm. whole thing. But the criminals know how to use a trap door for their own advantage. Yeah, yeah. The uh, little pull of the switch. Now they're disappearing down the trap door. Good yeah. for them. It is good. All right. Takes us to the next morning. And we have one of the most gruesome scenes in the whole thing. It's so gruesome. Um, Why? Because we're at a meat processing plant. Sure. Well, this was something that uh, the, that uh, we're talking about. Cla- Claude Blanchard, he wrote, when he was writing about Chicago, he also wrote about the slaughterhouses there. Yeah. Because Chicago was famous for its slaughterhouses in those days. So, so you know, trains from all over the Midwest came into Chicago with all the beef on it, and they went into these slaughterhouses. I believe that's where Sinclair Lewis's The Jungle was based. So that... From that time, so that's also an expose of the the slaughterhouse industry. Of that, that book was such a was such a a uh, caused such an outcry that Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, brought in the uh, food and drug. I mean, like brought in yeah. the idea of like FDA, I guess, someone to inspect how meat was processed, and because uh, this book was such a caused a. What would be the word? Caused a, something or other. Scandal, controversy. Yeah, uh, yeah. There you go. All those words. Uh, people just went, holy cow, what are they doing to those <laughs> cows. holy cows? <laughs> uh, so uh, so uh, the directors of Grind, yeah. uh, that is their uh, plant. It's called Grind. Pretty For some good. reason, originally called Slift, then that was changed okay. to Grind. Which, uh, what do you call the floor? What, what do you call this? A sleuth? Is that what you, what do you call the sloosh? You know, that's part of a, a slaughterhouse, right? Slooshing things, things fall through the sloosh. I don't think that's the name for it. But. No, it's something. It begins with an yeah. S, and it sounds like a sh, and it's uh, it sounds as gross as it probably yeah. Uh, looks. A slew? No, that's not it. You know what? We'll look it up, and you know <laughs> Another what? Day. You also will look it up. So we get to see how uh, meat is made, and how it's made is a whole cow that looks very innocent uh, is being taken along on uh, on, on you know a, a treadmill, uh, and then uh, we we cut to the end of the process, and out of a tap are coming sausages. And uh, then also blocks of corned beef. Yeah. But the other option is cooking fat or whatever. It's completely automatic. We do not see what happens inside, but something well, something does. We, we do, in a, bit. do we do in a bit. Uh, because uh, we're going to take you up to, to show you. Uh, Tintin's looking over the ledge. And uh, so is Snowy. Neither are looking down in horror yeah. at what they're seeing. Yeah. But apparently uh, there's a giant... A uh, grinder that's yeah. there. Uh, yeah. There's also um, tubes uh, l- l- with mustard, pepper, and salt mm-hmm. that are shot yeah. into this once you've been ground in. Yeah. And uh, Tintin um, is uh, 
leaning against a railing, looking down at the uh, slaughter area, and uh, the guy hits a switch, and the railing falls, and both Snowy and Tintin fall into this slaughter pit. Well, yes, but luckily, Tintin has all the luck in the world. Well, but by the way, once again, this is gruesome. (laughs) <laughs> this is just plain gruesome. Somewhere there's a rhino that was blown up in the last issue in rhino heaven who's looking down on Tintin now and yeah. laughing. Yeah. Just laughing. So, uh, you know, haha, calls himself a reporter and falling for that old gag. That old gag? This is something he does often? Yeah. Like, this is a regular trap that they usually throw people into the slaughter pit and make them into sausages? What's this inter- is, hey, Sweeney Todd, <laughs> this really got dark. What's interesting in the in the French version, it's garlic, pepper, and salt. So, oh, I guess okay. mustard was changed to mustard to make it more more to English taste. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, Tintin was lucky because they shut they shut off everything because they went on strike. Yes. Uh, the bosses cut the cash we get for bringing in the dogs and cats and rats they use to make salami. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so a callback to the jungle, Sinclair yeah. Lewis's book, which uh, detailed. In quite uh, graphic, quite graphically, the the uh, rather poor uh, sanitary conditions of the of the slaughterhouses yeah. in those days. And the guy who tried to kill Tintin is so upset he goes, "Jeepers, creepers!" <laughs> but yeah, it was lucky. Uh, Tintin survived. Uh, comes out with the corned beef, and it's okay. Uh, the guys the guys pretending this was just an accident. Yeah. And Tintin really is taking it in stride, stride mm, yeah. that he was pushed into the slaughter pit. Yeah. Or yeah. fell into the slaughter pit. And actually, Snowy's really taking it in stride too. And 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 again, Snowy complains when uh, you know well, a butterfly flies. He's probably by. feeling a little logy because he ate so much while he was I inside. I really <laughs> hope Snowy didn't, because we've clearly heard that there's dogs in this mix. <laughs> uh, oh boy, oh boy. So, anywho, why don't you take it for a while? <laughs> I'm a little grossed out. You're right a little now. grossed out. Okay, yeah. so. So Tintin, he seems to be taking it in stride, but actually he's kind of suspicious. So he sneaks back and eavesdrop on uh, our, the uh, the manager of this plant and hears him talking to the kidnap ink mm-hmm. boss. It turns out, so, you know, Tintin's in the know. So then he, uh, he tricks the grind, or the kidnap ink boss to come to this grind factory where he uh, gets gets a jump on him with a gun. Little realizing that this guy's gun is empty. Because, of course, you carry an empty gun and leave it as a decoy laying around. Yeah, that's what you do. So you can use your sword stick. <laughs> and uh, Snowy uses the joke, he's certainly got a point. <laughs> that's the thing. And I like that the guy references him as Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but then, as usual with, with Tintin, nothing to do with skill, all to do with luck. He leaps to escape the sword, grabs onto the light, mm-hmm. and uh, falls on top of this ink boss and that is it for him well i mean for all the good luck he has though snowy has the bad luck because the sword lands and goes straight through <laughs> snowy's tail uh and poor and, snowy's tail yeah it always suffers yeah it looks am i looking at this right it looks like it split the tail in two is that no no correct? that's just him tying a tying a bandage oh he's it. just tying a bandage on him okay and then i like as he's taking <laughs> I, here's the thing snowy just got his tail <laughs> yes. punctured by a sword <laughs> Immediately after that, Tintin hooks him up to a wagon to pull two fully grown adults with tiny wheels out of the factory. And then I like that we see along there's there's lost lost pet signs 
on the wall outside the factory. Yeah, that's just to further depress you. De- you know, but the other thing, it's not as much depressing as well. Now we're happy they got these jerks. Yeah, I'd be yeah. a little happier if they fell in the grinder, but that's that's just me. Finally, these these criminals have had enough. Yep. They gather at some sort of meeting hall for criminals. And have a big exposition dump. Yeah, a big exposition. Huge amount of words in one panel. Huge amount of words. We don't need to go into that. But they're pretty happy to hear it. I would have fallen asleep by the time he was done. What's the gist of it? The gist of it is that uh, distressed gangsters association, they feel like Tintin's being unfair to them. Mm -hmm. It's basically the gist of it. That uh, he's... uh, this seems to be meddling in all their fun they've been having for so long. Yeah. They've had the city for themselves. This guy comes along and just makes their lives much harder. So too bad for... So Let me just say about this page in general, and if you're reading it in the sort of traditional yeah. English version, it's, yeah. I got page 57, but mm-hmm. it's uh, gorgeous faces here. Like yeah. the, the faces on the thugs, yeah. lovely variety, yeah. good cartoonishness. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. And then later on, you see the Richie Rich folks, also, really good. Uh, yeah. You know, they yeah. almost look like caricatures of people, and perhaps they were. But the yeah, just beautiful design on uh, on all these characters. And what's interesting is uh, the appearance of uh, Roberto Rastapopoulos, who will appear in the Cigars of the Pharaoh. He'll come back again. So he's just here at a little cameo mm-hmm. at the dinner, getting a little tribute to Tintin. Yep. Yeah. There for a yeah, some sort of dinner and. Honor of Tintin. I certainly hope they're not serving sausage, corned beef, or anything beef related. <laughs> like this, at this point, it would just be salads for me, right? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, there not is a, maybe, but yes. There is a platter of, <laughs> There is a platter of fruit and vegetables on there. That's absolutely that's right, and that's what it's going to always be forever now. And then someone turns out the lights. Dun dun dun. Black. Once again. Tintin uh, having fun with the black, uh, using the black. Uh, taking a taking an hour off, maybe going for a walk. Doesn't have to do the drawing there. Good for him. Well, I don't know. If, I think. I mean, I think I can see that as a, a lazy thing, but I also think that it's oh, it evocative. Works. Yeah, it works really yeah, well. It works, but it's also you know, as a cartoonist, you know, it's fun when the lights go out mm-hmm. and you don't have to draw nothing. Sure, that's great. So uh, the lights come back on, and Tintin's missing. Who comes back on the scene? But our friend. Mm-hmm. The the house detective. I don't know why they brought him away from the hotel, but uh, I guess he was fired there. probably from the hotel <laughs> for gross negligence, and then uh, hired just as a regular detective. <laughs> but they're offering him uh, another five thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah. Oh, yeah. good for him. So so out he's going with Snowy, who I'm sure he doesn't even know is a dog. Yeah. Uh, to try and find him, and but he gets knocked out. He gets knocked out, and uh, Snowy gets chucked down into a hole with. Uh, not even a trapdoor this time. They just nope. stormed down a hole. Nope. And, uh, well, they blew the trapdoor budget. Yeah, I guess there's no more left. And so then he's reunited with Tintin in this... In this. Uh... Now, this is a weird scene. How so? Well, okay, these gangsters, they're going to kill... They're going to kill Tintin and Snowy by okay. tying their tying them to barbells. Alrighty. And dropping them into, into the lake. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and now it's going to be Lake Michigan? Yep. So that's good. So they have the uh, barbells there. Now, someone moved the barbells into this room. <laughs> yes, that's true. Someone, they just didn't appear there. They didn't just find them there. So they've got these barbells. Not only did they move them into the room, they moved the barbells uh, from one panel to the next. Yeah. Because there's the trap door. Yeah. Again, uh, open trap door. Yeah. Uh, and then someone has moved the barbell near the trap that's door. That's right. That's right. And then they push uh, Tintin then, into the water. But yeah, but then they, they have him tied to the barbell. They drop that barbell in the water and then, but wouldn't they notice right away that it was floating, that it didn't sink? Um, maybe. Yes. 
No, yes, they would. No, not necessarily. Why not? I could see, I could see them. T- All right, here's the thing. If you throw Tintin in first, yeah, he will pull the barbell down for a little bit, and then they will float back up. I could see that happening, perhaps. I, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that maybe. happening. I now, know. yeah, that's that's a maybe. But you're right. There is there are issues here. But then you do feel sorry for Billy Bolivar, the the world's strongest man. Why amazing. would you feel sorry for him? Because he's he so has, strong. Yeah. Because he's not really that strong, and he's got a real set of, of weights and not of dumbbells and not the wooden ones that he likes to use. Okay, it's just a weird cut. It is a guy. weird scene, isn't it? Yeah. It is kind of weird. It's funny, but it's weird. I also like what a strong man looked like back then. Mm, yeah. Like, what's a strong man look like? Uh, a bit of a gut on him? A bit of a gut. Really tiny legs? Tiny legs and tiny arms. Yeah. And an impressive mustache. Yeah, and a double chin. Anyway. Oh. That's the siren. That means we got to wrap this up pretty soon. So we're going to do that. Uh, so we're going to cut to uh, Lake Michigan and see uh, Tintin is floating, as yeah. is uh, Snowy. Yeah. And uh, they've got the floaty barbells because yeah. the barbells were switched. The wooden barbells and the regular barbells. Switched, yeah. The regular barbells are unfortunately with Billy Bolivar, <laughs> the world's weakest man. Yep. And then even when they're wood, he had trouble with them. And then somehow these gangsters, who are also very weak... They didn't notice that the barbells were wood. Well, they carried them down the stairs into their lair and then tied someone to them. At no time did they notice their unusual lightness. Yeah. There's so, issues. There's issues here. Um, so, uh, so, so Air still has two pages to fill. Yeah, he does. So uh, Tintin is rescued. Oh, good for by, him. By, some, by a, police, a uh, police boat. And we've learned we can always trust harbor, the police. Out in the, or not, out in the lake. Yeah. And uh, he says, phew, you know, I've... There's some gangsters. We need to go back and get them. And these guys go, well, just so you know, we're gangsters too. Disguises, police. <laughs> well, that's the thing with a police officer. If a police officer is a gangster, he has to tell you. Yeah. That's the rule. It's like, are you a gangster? I am a gangster, and now I must kill you. So now there's some quick thinking. Snowy bites the one, the calf of the one uh, bad guy. Yeah. Uh, Tintin with a mighty punch. Actually, takes the guy down. Yeah. He gets a, it's, a good, it's a good place to bite him. Yep. And the other guy gets punched by Tintin. Tintin breaks the wooden uh, bar dumbbells over his over his knee. He uses one to clonk the one bad guy in the head. Yeah. And then I love this scene. There's some other about four gangsters running towards him with one with his gun drawn, another one with a rifle, another one with a gun. They're ready for action. Tintin throws the the, the dumbbell at them like a bowling ball. It doesn't say I'm bowling or anything. It's just a drawing, a word balloon with a drawing of a bowling ball hitting pins, hitting the it, pins. It actually works. It's really good. Yeah, really good use of, of graphic images. And uh, and then he finds the last guy who's scared of him because, and I like this part because he's like, he sees him carrying the dumbbell around. He goes, you must be Billy Bolivar. <laughs> this is yeah, kind of funny good. callback to it the a good uh, callback. Thing. So then we have like a hu- another huge dump of, of text, which I have to admit I skipped. Oh no, I did read it. It's just it's just uh, basically it just tells you what happened in the story that Tintin caught all these crooks and uh and was able to bleed the police to capture three hundred and fifty five suspects right. are caught by, by Tintin. So, and I'm, Tintin I'm, gets a ticker tape parade. Could I just say sorry, and I, I don't want to have to go back to something in the past, but that just reminds well, listing amount of uh criminals caught and whatever. Yeah. I just remember when the police officer when uh, the guy was drunk. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. They, they list all the things that have happened in, in the city. Yeah. Uh, 24 banks have failed. 24 managers are in jail. 35 babies have been kidnapped. 44 hobos have been lynched. And it's just like, 
40, 35 babies have been kidnapped. Yeah. It was a tough city. Yeah. And so good for Tintin cleaning up the town. More more parody. More, I hope they got all the babies back. More satire of America. And now we got a really pretty shot of uh, Ticker Tape Parade with yeah, Tintin. Yeah, really impressive. Yeah, he's not one to turn away from the praise. He will take it. Yeah, he will not? not go, oh, not me. I'll just get on the plane. Nope, he's going to take the ticker tape parade. And that, and Airshay's not going to turn away from the big splash page. Yeah. Like, if he feels the splash page is new is due, he won't give you a black panel with some stars in it or eyes floating in, in the blackness. He'll just go for it. You'll get a full-on city street with skyscrapers with a ticker tape raining down with policemen on horses Tintin in a car. I mean, it's just an incredibly yeah. Children jumping drawing. up in glee, American flags waving, every, multiple people in uh, in the buildings. By the way, none of these buildings have windows. Everyone is leaning out. Of, <laughs> they must all be uh, open. Par- yeah. They're all parkades. They're all parkades. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's so many cars in America. Sure, uh, the car culture. Tintin's getting on the um, getting on a uh, a boat to Europe. Yeah, saying pity. I was uh, almost beginning to get used to it. Yeah, toot. And off he goes. And then and there's the boat, the boat floating in the water with the classic Hergé waves. Yeah. Beautiful. Very beautiful. Um, and so now the last two stories ended in real life with people meeting Tintin back at, or someone this playing Tintin back in Belgium. They did it for a third time. Third time's a charm. This was actually the biggest attended one. I can't remember how many people were there, but they did it again. Yeah. They hired someone to play, to pretend to be Tintin, tra- traveled from the train station to the offices of Le, P- Le Petit Ventium. Yeah. And, uh, yep. That's fantastic. Is um, is there any uh, pictures of this? There's pictures of, of one of them. There's no. It doesn't seem to be like. Apparently, although it was a newspaper, no one bothered to come out and take pictures of this news event. Because it's not. I've never seen pictures of the of the one of coming back from Africa with like the, the like the native handlers and stuff like that mm-hmm. and the exotic animals. I've never seen that one. Well, listen. If anyone out there knows, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, you may have some interest in Tintin. Uh, if you know of where these pictures are, or you've got access to them, please let us know, yeah, or let us know. or put them on our uh, website. We're at sneakydragon.com. We love to hear from you. If there's uh, any mistakes we've made, or something you want us to talk a little bit more about, uh, we can do that in the message boards. And uh, we will do that in the message boards. Uh, we're also uh, Sneaky uh, Dragon on the Facebook. On the Facebook? They used to call it the Facebook. Now it's just called Facebook. Yeah. Let's be intimate there and just call it that. And you can also reach us at uh, SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Again, we really like hearing from you. And if you have the time uh, to give us a review on iTunes, that helps other people to find us. So uh, please do that. Even if you don't like the show, that's fine too. We're, we're fine either way. We'll take uh, we'll take praise. We'll take notes. We just we're okay. Yeah, we're like Tintin. We can take a beating. We're all right. You can throw us into prison. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of pages. Everything's gonna That's be right. fine. That's right. We'll sneeze and get our find our way out of there. That's right. We're the we're the mighty Bolivar or whatever that I forget the guy's name now. I'm really disappointed though that uh, House Bolivar. Detective did not come back. Yeah, it's too bad. I wonder if he had have said a, a, a new book in the because he. Obviously, Erge was not loath to have characters recur. Like, right. He did not mind that at all. But it does seem that a lot of the early characters, there wasn't that sense of repeating characters. We're going to find some repeating characters next next book, though. We're going to have some characters come for the first time. They're going to show up. Well, here's, so the thing, pretty here's the thing we'll throw out to you as well. Are there any characters in Tintin books, uh, the ones we've covered already, uh, that you would like to have reoccurred but didn't? You know, it's like, oh, it's too bad that never uh, they never came around again. Yeah. Yeah, just let us know. Uh, so I think that's about it. 
Mm-hmm. If uh, I was just going to uh, plug where we're going to be this weekend, but by the time you listen to this, w- that will have been over. Yes. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. Uh, but yeah, uh, I've been Ian Boothby. I've been David Dedrick. And this has been Totally Tintin. Thank you for your kind attention. Mm-hmm.